You're listening to Video Monsters, a weekly podcast. Uh, well, uh, mostly weekly. Sometimes more, sometimes less. <sighs> All right, fine. A mostly weekly podcast of Creatures Talking Features with your hosts, Nathan Simmons and Eric Harris. Video Monsters is brought to you by the Chattanooga Film Festival and Central Cinema in Knoxville, Tennessee. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or online at chatfilmfest.org and centralcinema865.com. And links for each of these can also be found on our pages, so be sure to follow us at Video Monster Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Hello and welcome to episode 316 of Video Monsters, where we take movies seriously, just not ourselves. I'm Nathan. And I'm Eric. And I'm Dan. And tonight we are sadly uh, bringing our Hanksgiving series to a close, but uh, very hankfully with one of the best Tom Hanks movies, Joe vs. the Volcano, which uh, I love so much. Yeah, man, it's a good movie. Uh, And I'm excited. I feel like this actually is kind of the perfect movie to close it out on. Um, There's so many things in this film that connect to all of Hanks' other movies in some fascinating ways. Yeah. Yeah, It's it's the the Hanks-averse film, without a doubt. (laughs) It's the one that brings them all together (laughs) and binds them. Yeah. Yeah, so the the one movie to rule them all. Uh, Exactly. Yeah, so... so Binds them in the light. Binds them in the the fires of Mount... Wapui? Was that the name of the island? The or uh, what? Wapi Woo? Was that? Was that it? Man, with as many times as I've seen this movie, I, I never actually wrote down the name of the island. I, oh well. I kept trying. It's the the people are the Waponies. Wapony. Woo Woo Wapony. I think because Woo is volcano. <laughs> so, the volcano in was the fires of Mount Woo. Yes, the the fires of Mount Woo, as opposed to Mount. Doom, guys. This is a terrible way for us to start. So, uh, we we should start talking about things. Uh, yeah. Tonight we are wrapping up our Thanksgiving series. It is absolutely my fault with with my pick, uh, Joe versus the volcano, and and this was one that when when Eric first said, "Hey guys, let's do Thanksgiving," immediately my pick was Joe versus the volcano because guys, I love Joe versus the volcano so much. <laughs> And I always forget about how much I love it. And so there's a, there's a lot of stuff that we are going to try to talk about tonight. We have uh, three full pages of notes of things <laughs> that we want to say. I don't know about we here. I, mm. I, did, I have like I have a couple lines in there. Okay, I have I, a few suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> I have a solid two and a half pages worth of details of things that I want to talk about that we're not going to get to. Uh, and and yeah, um, I, I'm excited about it. Uh, before we start getting into things, Dan, Eric, how do you feel? Yes, sir. About uh, Thanksgiving coming to an end. Uh, I finished 31 Hanks films this month. So, Jesus uh, Christ. I, I am sad to see it go. <laughs> wow. That is and incredible. what's sad is I didn't get around to all the ones I wanted to watch. So there will be a Hanks giving the sequel next year for me. Because <laughs> by then he will probably put out another <clears throat> three or four films. So Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm jealous because I think that I only watched the ones that we were covering on the podcast. Um, oh, but you know, I did watch I, Blood Rage three times. So, 
I, I filled holes in my unseen Hanks viewing. It was nice. I got a bunch of one, like ones from like the early 2000s that I had not seen and just checked them all off. Got the whole uh, Ron Howard trilogy taken care of with uh, Dan, the Dan Brown books. Those were interesting. <laughs> <laughs> those were, those are, I mean, it shouldn't be that anyone who, who knows my dislike of Dan Brown um, would not be surprised if those three movies were the lowest ranked of like any of my movies that I watched this month for those. um yeah i actually i'm kind of in the opposite boat of dan where i'm sad that it's over because i didn't watch all the tom hanks movies that i wanted to watch like and i was i had my expectations much more modest like i made a list of i think like eight or nine tom hanks movies that i wanted to get around to some some that i hadn't seen before and some that i just wanted to revisit and the only extracurricular hanks movie that i managed to get around to this time was uh that thing you do which that's a just be, I mean, just like Joe vs. the Volcano, such a joyous, like, antidepressant kind of movie. Like, you cannot watch that thing you do and and walk away in a bad mood. It's so great. Um, but yeah, that was the only one I got to besides the other ones. I'm hoping that, I mean, you know, we still have a few hours here till midnight, so maybe... <laughs> Maybe I can squeeze another one yeah. in before the end of the day. All right, you know what? I'm probably, I'm definitely gonna like at least get around to Finch. Oh yes, I was really excited about that one. Yeah, I just, and, just counted. Uh, I had 17 Hanks films in the books before I watched a movie that didn't have Hanks in it this November. Yeah, you hit it. <laughs> you hit the Hanks hard at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, I, I it like was, it was a until like Shang Chi pre- premiered on Disney Plus, and I watched that was the first non Hanks film I had watched. <laughs> And then after oh, that, yeah, I yeah. went on to watch another one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten more. Damn. Before Prisoners of the Ghostland premiered on Shudder, and I watched that. Then I didn't watch a Hanks film for a bit, because at that point I was already at like 26 films, so I, I ghosted <laughs> the rest of the month. <laughs> jealous. I, you know what? I blame myself for picking Cloud Atlas, and I don't regret a thing, but Cloud I blame Atlas you took too. up so much time trying to get through it. <laughs> Uh, but yeah. Anyway, Tom Hanks, yeah, love him, dude. We we could have gotten through like three more Hanks movies from the three-hour movie to the four-hour recording. Uh, we totally could have gotten more Hanks movies in. Oh yeah, you could have uh, gotten like you could have gone through like such a mid-eighties chunk where those films were like ninety minutes. Yep. I mean, the good thing though is that Cloud Atlas is technically like six different Tom Hanks movies, so you know you're welcome. <laughs> Yeah, tell that to, sure. tell that to my letterbox. <laughs> letterbox counts yeah. as one. <laughs> it's like the it's like in Lord of the Rings when Gimli's like that still only counts as one. Exactly. Yeah. So before we start getting into the details of the analysis uh, or even some of our prior information, I'm going to give our quick-ish summary and recommendation for Joe versus the volcano, and this is mostly spoiler-free. Uh, if there's any spoilers, it's nothing that would make sense as to why it's a spoiler until afterwards when you'd be like, Oh, right. That's what you're talking about. All right. So here we go. Joe versus the volcano is an existential comedy fairy tale. That is essentially Dostoevsky retelling Joseph Campbell's the hero with a thousand faces with just a dash of Spielbergian character building. As we follow Tom Hanks, go from depressed hypochondriac cog in the machine to materialistic satisfaction to self-actualized fulfillment alongside Meg Ryan, as she personifies each of these themes in the first of the Hanks Ryan romantic comedy trilogy. Joe versus the volcano is a heartwarming, somewhat tragic classic with one, three 
of Meg Ryan's best roles. Uh, impeccable comedic timing from uh, from Hanks and some outdatedly problematic side characters portrayed by beloved actors. Video Monsters absolutely recommends Joe vs. the Volcano, both on its surface as a romantic comedy, as well as a deeper analysis of the comedic tragedies of the human condition, with some contextual caveats of how cultural awareness has shifted over the past 30 years. So, that probably doesn't actually tell you anything about Joe vs. the Volcano, uh, but that's probably... Where's the volcano? <laughs> the, vol- <laughs> the volcano is in the soul. It's the volcano of hate and love and... Yeah. You know what, guys? I gotta say, not enough volcano in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the the volcano is a metaphor. Definitely needed some more volcano. The volcano is a metaphor. Uh, Joe versus the volcano is not about Joe literally going up against a volcano. It's about Joe facing his fears and the volcanoes of life and falling mm-hmm. in. Wait for it, lava. Okay. So what you're saying is that it's false advertising. <laughs> no. <Okay>. <laughs> what I'm saying is that it is metaphorical advertising. I honestly can't believe. I don't know what studio put this out. It's Amblin. It's, it's like Warner it's Brothers, Amblin. right? It, it's Amblin Entertainment. It's a Spielberg film. Well, they're the production company, but yeah. yeah, Warner Brothers distributed it. So like, it's kind of amazing to me. And I guess this is the power of having Spielberg on your side that they got away with having a title like Joe versus the Volcano. Like, that is not a very marketable title at all. Yeah, but doesn't it intrigue you? Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, it's it, I, I feel like most people are like, what the fuck is this movie going to be? Yep. It's got Tom Hanks and Matt it, Ryan. It's originally why I hated this movie as a kid. <laughs> oh, really? First, because I saw this not long after it first came out, and I hated this movie. Oh, really? That's it. fascinating. Yeah. It's, well, I mean... I was I was like 15 so I was expecting more along the line of like bachelor party or big or yeah you know that that era hangs <laughs> hell even Turner and Hooch or Dragnet type of thing you know <laughs> but it's definitely an yeah. outlier my my opinion was you know you didn't even get to the volcano until there's like 20 minutes left in yeah. the damn movie you know which surprised me this I time. I didn't want to yeah, I didn't want to sit through the dreary shit because it's, you know, I was so young, I didn't recognize what was actually being shown to me. I was just like, more volcano. <laughs> more slapstick comedy of people hitting them gongs with their bodies. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, so let's go ahead and throw up our spoiler wall. We're going to be talking about a movie that is 31 years old. Is that right? Yeah. Yep, um, it's older than yeah. I am. Yeah, that's, uh, yep. Uh, yeah, so we're talking about a movie that's 31 years old, and this is definitely one of the movies that I don't feel like it can be spoiled. Like, even if you had the entire movie explained to you, who cares? You know, like, it, it's not like there's some big, huge twist ending that you're going to be like, what? So, uh, spoiler wall, if you care, it, really, that just means we're going to be talking about some I mean, details, especially the ending. I, I mean, a little bit, but like even the things that like, oh, this thing happened. You don't really feel tension in the movie, you know, like so uh, again, spoiler wall has already been up um, when when they're about to jump into the volcano and then the volcano spits them back out. It's already at the end of the movie. 
So you don't feel that tension of like, oh no, like what's going to happen to them? Are they really got, it's just like, it's the end of the movie. Sure. It makes sense for them to I mean, both I die together. Tension throughout the entire movie. I have to say like, cause I was the whole movie. I was curious to, to like, I, like I, the movie sets such a bizarre kind of tone that like in my mind, I was like, I could easily see this movie ending with him just jumping into the volcano and dying. Well, like, like that, but what I'm saying with that yeah. is because of that, there's not the tension at the end of will he survive or will they make it or what's going to happen to them? It's just kind of like their story is played out. This is the end. And so when something surprising happens, it's not like a release of tension. It's just kind of like a, Oh, huh. That happened instead. Mm -hmm. That Uh, could also, what my experience was, but that could also be because I've seen it a number of times. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so so I, I saw this movie when I was young, and this might have actually been my first exposure to Tom Hanks. I don't remember because, you know, I was young, seven or eight or nine-ish. Um, but yeah, like, I, I don't remember what Hanks movie I saw first. I don't remember if it was Big or, or Joe vs. the Volcano. Uh, and honestly, it might have just been between those two because I'm fairly certain that Turner and Hooch and um, uh, and the Burbs came later in terms of like mm. when I saw them. I know that I was much older when I saw the man with one red shoe. So, yeah, like it, it was either big or uh, Joe versus the volcano was my first exposure to Tom Hanks. Um, Dragnet also came a little bit later. And so, yeah, like whenever I think Tom Hanks, I instantly think Joe versus the volcano. And I, I remember loving it as a kid but also not remembering that much about it, you know, like from one of my earliest viewings, just about the only thing that I remember is the luggage and that's it. Mm. Like <laughs> when I think Joe versus the volcano and my early childhood experiences, it's just like, Oh yeah, they're, they're the four enormous trunks that then he floats on and, and he jumps in the volcano, but lives mm-hmm. and that's it. I, I don't remember anything else. So I don't remember whether or not I actually liked it or, or if like Dan, if I thought that it was boring leading up to some of the stuff, I don't remember. Um, but I know that I loved it and rewatching it as an adult. Oh my God. I love this movie so much. And, and like I already said, I always forget about how much I love this movie and how funny I think that it is until I'm mm-hmm. rewatching it and cracking up at just like the, the driest, dumbest humor. And we're going to get to some of that in a little bit, so I don't want to dive too far into it right now. But even just like that opening scene with the, I know he can get the job, but can he do the job? That bit goes on way too long, and it is almost like British office level uncomfortable. And I adore it, and I love it. And I, I was cracking up so <laughs> much last night. And... Yeah, like this is not like a like a rip roaring, you know, like side splitting comedy. It's a fairly dry existential story with some romance and comedy thrown in. But I was dying last night when I was watching it. So, uh, so yeah, that that's uh, some of my intro to it. Eric, what about you? Because this was the first time that you've ever watched Joe versus the volcano. Uh, yes, that is correct. I. Um... <clears throat> I, I can't imagine watching this as a kid. I feel like I would have hated it as a kid. Um, I don't know, though. That's, that's interesting that you watched it when you were younger and, and still really loved it. 
Um, yeah, I yeah. had never well, I seen... I was more like the age of 15, though, when I hated everything that wasn't, like, Goodfellas or Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and... So this was not what I was in the mood for. As, right, as, right. You know, freshman, sophomore in high school, I was like, this is baby shit stupid. Yeah, and there's just enough silly parts that, as a kid, yeah. you can laugh at the silliness without understanding the true, maturity. Yeah. You know, like the uh, the testicle prototype. You don't understand that as a kid. So, like, that's not a thing that's going to be highlighted to the point of, like, well, this is inappropriate humor for a child to be watching. You know, it's just, it's just hey, the silly man is being silly again. So... I think when with my kids, like they get, they are always they're the stereotypical. Like anytime they see someone kissing in a movie, they're like, "Nope, nope," or whatever. And this movie is so like sincere, and it's kind of like romantic Oof. side of it that it it feels like as a kid you might, like, I mean, normal kid might not be into that kind of thing. And it is very dialogue heavy, like very dialogue driven too, which is interesting. But anyway, uh, not not what I wanted to talk about. Um, so yeah, I'd never seen this movie before. Um, I was really hoping that you would pick this one because it's the one I was most interested in seeing because it just seems like kind of the weirdest Tom Hanks movie, at least especially like in his earlier portion of his career. Um, and yeah, like before I watched it, I went on Letterboxd and was just kind of looking at some of the reviews that people I follow had posted. And I had no idea what to expect from this movie because like half of the reviews I was reading were like, oh man, this movie is so uplifting and life-affirming, and it's, like, one of them literally said, might be the most hopeful movie ever made. And then another, uh, like, some of the other reviews were like, yeah, this movie made me sad. Uh, this is kind of depressing. Uh, and so, yeah, and I was kind of in, a, like, I kind of put this movie off for a little while because I've been in kind of a bad mood lately. Um, I, I think it's just, like, a general with the cold weather coming in and being stuck inside and it getting dark early. Like I, I have a, a general seasonal kind of depressive mood that I get into around this time of year. And so I was kind of putting it off. Cause I'm like, yeah, I don't know if, if this is going to be, if I'm in the right mood for it. And it turns out that that probably actually amplified my experience <laughs> because that's so much of what this movie is about. Yeah. I kind of, um, you know, like I, Eric, I care very deeply about you and you know, I don't want you to be sad. It's also true that I kind of loved the fact that uh, you were a little pissy today when you watched it because I was like, yeah, this is only going to make it better. Yeah. And I really think it did. Yeah, because it was like, especially the for the first like 45 minutes or so, maybe like 30 to 45 minutes, I was like walking on air. Like I was just like so blown away by what this movie was doing and how it was approaching its story. And yeah, and I it was, I was elated with it, and I, I still I really love the movie overall. I have some things I want to discuss, not necessarily flaws, but like things about the movie I'm still trying to work out. I think, um, with the later it's, part of it, it is totally yeah. so. As much as I absolutely adore this movie, um, there are some flaws with it, but I don't think that they're flaws. I think that they are. Okay, so I go back and forth on this in terms of whether or not some of the things that are very justifiably uh, seen as flaws or, you know, like I can totally understand why the, uh, you know, like drastically different views on Letterboxd. I don't know how much of that is intentional from uh, the writer and director, uh, John Patrick Stanley. Sorry, Shanley. Stanley, yeah. Um, 
and and how much of that is me doing my over analysis thing. Mm-hmm. But I like to think that it's intentional, not like intentionally bad, because I don't think that it's bad. But mm-hmm. the the movie, in my opinion, has four very distinct, well, three very distinct tonal shifts. So you know, like four tones overall. Mm. And it does not feel like the same movie from beginning to end. Yeah, and I, th- I th- yeah, I definitely think, think that that's, that's on purpose, deliberate. I think that's also part of the reason why it has such a polarized reaction to it because it is so. I mean, it's kind of the same thing with Cloud Atlas, where it's like a lot of people watch that and they don't know what to think of it. With Joe versus the volcano, like the thing that I love about it and what was most exciting to me was that polarized reaction because this is mm-hmm. ob- like uh, Shanley was obviously kind of given a bit of a blank check with this movie i think because he had just won an oscar for moonstruck for writing moonstruck and so like all right i i imagine that they're like yeah you can do whatever you want because movies like this just don't yeah, get made he brings them this and he brings them this yeah and and i love to I mean, be fair so there is a scene where they are literally moonstruck so yeah the moon, the moon is a big deal in his in his stuff. Quite literally, um, but yeah, I mean, this is a this is a comedy that is very much kind of a throwback to like kind of like classic screwball comedies. Like it feels like everything is made on a soundstage, and they're they're like have these incredibly gorgeous matte paintings, and there's some like really expressionistic kind of uh, like set design early on. Bo Welch did the set design in this movie, mm-hmm. who, and he did like Beetlejuice and a lot of Burton stuff, and uh been in black and that kind of stuff so it's it's a gorgeous movie and it's right from the beginning when i first started watching it i was immediately struck by the opening shot where you see like all of the cars lined up in perfect rows in the mud as people are throwing their garbage into the mud and it pans up to this factory that looks like it's out of like a fucking crusty the clown show or something. i don't know like it's so like goofy and it's like oh very dark yeah. but also very whimsical <laughs> in a in a certain way yeah the factory uh among other things is making anal probes and yeah. it has like a uh, a counter of satisfied customers and it was like over it was either uh 300,000 or 700,000 i want to say it was 700,000 it was over 700,000 yeah. yeah so over 700,000 like 50 years of petroleum jelly <laughs> oh <laughs> it it felt very futurama-esque uh in in those early scenes in terms of like it's dark but also we're making yeah, jokes about good, petroleum jelly point. and uh anal probes so yeah the uh the factory facade almost looks like it has a robotic face that could you could look at it as bender or something <laughs> it's it's fascinating and yeah so yeah immediately and it's got like this song that's playing in the background that i meant to look up uh where it's like some people say that man is made out of mud but, well it's about like coal mining i think is what i what i had seen uh from the little bit that i was looking at like the imdb trivia uh which makes sense because it's all about like selling your soul to a to company, the company store. store yeah that's what it is yeah yeah, yeah it's um, a pretty old tiny song from back in the day um yeah, so so the music. Oh God, I, I'm actually really glad that you uh, mentioned the music because that was one of the things that I meant to put in our notes. With just the the overall production quality and the overall feel of this movie, and the, you've already hit on a lot of the uh, a, a lot of the bigger points that I wanted us to talk about. 
But let's start breaking some of those down. And I don't want to stay here too long because I really want to get into the meat of the analysis. But I, I feel like this movie is technically so much better than what most people probably are expecting from it. Because again, like yeah. it has some of the uh, almost like German expressionistic stuff at the very beginning, you know, like some very mise-en-scene sort of stuff. Uh, and, and then it also has just like this beautiful you know like 40s 50s hollywood like everything is just bright colors uh you know like you see the um is it new york that they're in yeah because he's in uh Staten yeah island. he starts yeah, yeah. Staten island yeah yeah so like you see the new york city skyline but every single window is a different color which is just like that that's so unrealistic you know that that is not what it actually looks like but you believe that that's what it looks like, especially because then when they have like that close-up scene, you see uh, a, a lot of those individually colored windows. So there's just like a lot of really different styles going into this movie in a way that I feel like it makes sense. And this yeah. is going to be something that, I've, uh, that I'm going to come back to when we get to the analysis, but it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like uh, the, the production team didn't know what direction to go with. It felt to me, at least, especially on multiple rewatches, very intentional of we are using this set to give you the mood of this movie in in a very much, uh, you know, show don't tell sort of way. And uh, oh, yeah. Eric, you and I were talking about this um, outside of the podcast that Shanley, uh, you know, like has more of a history in theater. And so, like, that's what a lot of it, especially early on, feels like. It feels like we're going to give you these big set designs so that instantly when the curtains pull back, you know the type of stuff that's going to be happening in this scene. And and that's what it feels like. And and again, in a way that works and doesn't feel disjointed, it feels, mm. again, I, I think beautiful, especially it, with how grim some of the early stuff is. It feels like such a great way for the film to transition from each of Tom Hanks's different like stages that he's going through. Like I like I was genuine. I genuinely felt emotional because like the whole like first 15 to 20 minutes of the movie where he's in the factory is so washed out and gray with this like horrible fluorescent lighting. Like it looks like you're watching a horror movie almost. It's very depressing. It's very uh, 12 Monkeys Insane Asylum-esque with like that yeah. sickly green yeah. lighting and made me think of Brazil actually. Gilliam is is all Gilliam's influence is all over the early part of the movie, oh, I yeah. would say. Um but like whenever he, you know, gets his diagnosis and he starts, you know, living, you know, live like he's dying. Um <laughs> but yeah, like whenever he he takes Dee, Dee out to a bar um on a day and then when they leave the bar there's this incredible crane shot where it's like looking down on the street and it looks like a shot out of like west side story or something like it's a mm. this beautiful like so colorful and there's like this little sailor dude leaning up a lamp against a lamppost and i'm like god i hope they all start dancing and singing right now <laughs> but like why else would you have a sailor leaning up against that it like, <laughs> really felt like you were about to get some singing in the rain style shit right there yeah, Which, absolutely. And ironically, so you and, do get from Hanks and Punchline. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, um, but it, it's just so beautiful. And again, like I, that moment, just like seeing that shot, made me feel emotional, and it made me feel how Hanks must have been feeling in that moment. Like it brings it home so much better than any kind of dialogue ever could. 
it's really impeccable. And again, the movie has all, like you said, it has all these different tonal shifts. So it becomes like four very different kind of movies with very distinct styles to them. And and I like that the movie also like it it begins with once upon a time there was a man named Joe and who had a very lousy job. So it has this kind of fairy tale esque quality to it where all of the situa all of the like settings are very heightened. Um it doesn't quite like go over the line into straight fantasy, but it always feels like very fantastical. Right. And I like yeah, that. A a bit, it feels like there's a bit of magical realism in there. A little bit that. to it, yeah. And I mean, other than the fact that there's three Meg Ryans, but yes. <laughs> well, and I think it's important but, too because that really like helps you buy into the fact that Tom Hanks would believe that he has a brain cloud. Like it's so it's a mm. such a ridiculous concept, but the movie is so high. The movie around him is so heightened that like mm. whenever that person says that to him, you don't immediately assume that he's gaslighting. At least I didn't <laughs> immediately assume that he was gaslighting him. I thought maybe he was. But at the same time, I'm like, well, this is obviously some sort of weird, like you said, kind of magical realist world. So maybe maybe what he's saying is real in whatever reality this uh, movie is set in. Well, you, oh, no, it's just like when we're talking about the tonal shifts, I love the fact that like Meg Ryan is the signifier of the tonal shifts. Yeah. Like, yeah, you, you, you can just look at her character and know which which reality you're in at that moment. Yeah, she's the like Rosetta Stone to yeah. understanding the the entire film, really. Well, and uh, part of the reason that the whole brain cloud thing is believable is because you have Robert Stack being very serious and and describing. Oh my God. Just, got, I mean, like when you have the guy from Unsolved Mystery sitting there telling you about this mysterious thing, it's like, yeah, I believe it. Yeah. It, yeah, it's the, <laughs> just the greatest voice. It it is. Oh my God, it's played so so well. Um. Oh, God, there, there's so much that I want to talk about, even within uh, <clears throat> the stuff that you've already been bringing up. Um, but but yeah, like the one of the things uh, that I really loved that I don't think that I noticed quite as much before uh, before this viewing was the color in the early part of the film. And I think that there's a good use of color throughout, but those early segments of the film, it is so, mm. so pronounced of, you know, like when he's getting to the factory everything is just fucking gray and then he goes into the factory and again it's that like sickly green like prison lighting almost and then yeah when he goes to the doctor's office in the waiting room oh i it's, love it's white yeah, and it's just like the this. pure white and then you open the door and it's that very warm earthy tone of the doctor's office and so like it gives it you immediately that... establishes the power dynamic that the doctor has well not only the power <laughs> dynamic but also it's like really it looks like he steps into another world yeah exactly and like not only the power dynamic but also just like it gives you a sense of believability and comfort because again in the office it's so just just icky and pale and you know like you feel sick watching it uh tom hanks in his office job and then he walks into the therapist's office or the doctor's office and it's just like ah the real world where there are earth tones and so it, it mm. again it visually is telling you the story of you need to buy into what is happening in this segment even though it's dumb <laughs> and 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 it works and and again yeah like after that um you know, he walks out of the doctor's office and such a beautiful long shot with no dialogue where the camera is just zooming out very, very slowly. 
and this little old woman is walking her enormous great dane and and you get some great physical acting of hangs you know like walking up to the dog and letting him sniff it and then giving the dog a hug and then giving the woman a hug and it's just like this solid red background which ah man it's 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 just yeah it's just like a brick building but again like there's so much use of color and then he gets into his white car and drives off and i don't know it it feels very um almost like french new wave cinema in terms of how much the color plays a role in what's happening uh and and then again you already mentioned you know like the city skyline and just the way some of the uh, the other things are lit in the restaurant but then even like in his house you know when when hanks goes back to his apartment it's still like a greenish bluish color um which you know like with color theory is a little bit more on like the happiness and calm side Mm. but there's still some mirroring of the colors in the office. And uh, one of the things that we'll get to in a minute is the, uh, the lightning bolt of the logo. You also see that crack in the foundation of his house. And so yeah. th- there's so much visually happening to bring you into the story in the early parts that once it moves on from it to me, Again, like I noticed it this time because I was like really paying attention to stuff, uh, knowing that we were going to talk about it. But I feel like you don't notice that it then just kind of transitions into a movie, you know, like it loses so Mm. much style as soon as he uh, goes on a shopping spree. But in a way that it doesn't feel like it actually lost its style because there was so much setting the stage that it kind of carries through for me, at least most of the film. Yeah, I agree. Well, it's it's necessary because he's changing his entire personality at that moment. Yeah. So why why wouldn't you change the way everything is being filmed? It's I mean, it's like you said French New Wave with the color. I almost felt like I was watching Gaspar No. Yeah. Where it's just like <laughs> the use of color in lighting is making me physically ill, much like yeah. much like irreversible. I mean not not quite to that extreme, thankfully. <laughs> But, you know, any Gaspar Noe film, anytime you ever listen to him talk, he's always using everything he can, whether it be the, the lighting or the soundtrack. I mean, mm. everything he's doing is to just make you feel physically ill during certain scenes. And the way this film starts, it just does such a great job of that. Because anyone who's ever worked, I mean, I've never worked in an office that dreary. Mm. But they, they exist. But, you, know, where you just walk into a room and you're like, you you don't feel well. Yeah, so and it's it's exaggerated in. to the yep. point that it that it evokes the emotion that you need from that. Where it's like, yeah, whatever job you've had may not be quite that bad, but it reminds you of like the yeah. mundanity of being stuck at work. Like one of my favorite lines in the movie is, "I've worked here for like four and a half years, and in that time, I've done maybe six months worth of work." So like yeah. he's like if I had those four years back it would be like gold in my hand, and I was like yeah that's how it feels sometimes when you're stuck in an mm-hmm. office job and you don't really need to be there you know because you've done all the work yep. you need to do but you still have to be there because it's what you're obligated to do for your salary. Um, it's really and and those those jobs feel worse than the ones that overwork you because. Because you have time to think about all the other shit you could be doing. Exactly. Yeah. Stuff. <laughs> you exactly. have time to stare at a lamp with uh, a, a scene of yeah. an island just spinning around and wish that you were and, literally and anywhere got, else. And you've got Dan Hedaya coming in and telling you to take that lamp away. 
Like, <laughs> Dan, Dan Hadea is amazing. Dan Hadea is so perfect in this casting. Like so good. Oh. Yeah, we're we're, we're gonna miss- come more things we are going to come back to some of the side characters in just a minute um but yeah like the, the again this movie gives you all of those feelings so strong early on that i feel like it primes you for the rest of the movie to pick up on maybe some more subtle things because again like it, it does feel like a very drastic tonal shift from uh from the early parts of the movie to the the middle section in la uh, and and then like you know out on the ship and then the very very small section on the island, mm-hmm. but each of those feels so distinct but also cohesive. Um, mm-hmm. So with some of those early shots uh, or with some of those early sequences, uh, there was a lot that um, that I felt like if it didn't inspire, I at least uh, saw some comparisons of like Wes Anderson in terms of the framing of like things being very center focused with a lot of space around it. Uh, There's not quite the same depth of field. It doesn't have quite the same feeling, but there were a few scenes that uh, that the look and also just the use of music felt very Wes Anderson esque. Um, Like, Oh Mm. my God, the, (laughs) when they're on the boat, the, uh, the fishing montage, that felt so much like Royal Tenenbaums where Gene Hackman takes his grandkids out and you know, they're just causing a ruckus. That's what that scene reminded me of. They are, they are nothing alike, but they felt so similar. And uh, then that scene is highlighted with one of the dumbest and one of the best scenes of the entire movie where you have a hammerhead shark whose eyes turn and look at them and then is screaming because he's just as shocked that he was that that scene is so great but it's also one of the scenes when i watched it in the movie i'm like i i don't know how i feel about this this is this feels (laughs) it feels like maybe a bridge too far (laughs) they did not jump the shark at that point it's so funny but that's i mean that's one of the things i'll have to get into once we get to some of the non-technical kind of stuff but like i'm still a little flummoxed by the tone of the movie and i don't necessarily think that it's bad i like i want to rewatch it again so i know what to expect um because i mean again some of those shifts are so jarring and and it makes it to where some of the like one of the things i really shit i'll get into in a minute right i know you've you've got other things you got to do right so um so we already mentioned uh, the lightning bolts, um, and it's going to come back up when we get into that analysis. Um, but again, just like it, it's such a simple design, you know, it, it's kind of well, it's kind of like an upside down lightning bolt because it starts small and then it gets wider at the bottom. Um, but you see it on the company logo, the path leading up to the factory, the crack in the apartment wall, the lightning as it hits the ship. Um, which you know then sinks the ship and mm. is the first of many deaths that happen off screen. Uh, and then the trail leading up to the volcano. Um, and, and again, like it's, it's such a simple design and it's not like throughout the entire movie. It's only used a few times, but because it's used at some pivotal moments, like it keys you in to, to like knowing that something is about to happen. Lightning is about to strike causing his in causing Hanks's character's entire worldview to change um mm. which we'll get into that in in just a second um some other just like quick little miscellaneous stuff about the uh technical things and then we can start getting into 
some of the humor and actors before we get into the much heavier analysis. So I already mentioned that the early, early scenes felt very uh, Wes Anderson-esque. When Hanks goes on that shopping spree, to me, it felt like Home Alone 2 when uh, Macaulay Culkin is just stuck in New York and like, you know, he's got his dad's credit card. So he's like, sure, I'll go stay at this super nice hotel because apparently that's what you do. And like Hanks feels like a little kid that's never had to do anything before. Mm. And even though that's the movie that it reminded me of, I really, really, really hope that this montage, quasi montage, um, inspired John Wick 2 when he's going on his thing, like prepping for the night where like he gets his guns and all that stuff, especially, especially the scene where <laughs> Hanks is getting his luggage. It felt so much like when Hanks or uh, when uh, Keanu Reeves is getting his guns in, uh, in John Wick two. That is really funny. Yeah. Cause the luggage scene is, is so funny in this movie because of the way it plays it out almost like a, a religious experience. Yep. It's like it looks like he's in a church kind of and it has this like choral music playing in the background. <laughs> it's so funny the way that they play it out and like uh, exaggerate it. It's it's really amazing. And it, and like it also as you find out fits the tone of the movie because like that thing literally saves his life multiple times. Yep. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> literally it literally feels like divine intervention. Yeah, and it uh it's one of the few things that with as many of like the themes that I love about this movie, that's one of the few that I'm like, okay, I love it for the comedy and the, the setup and the payoff with the comedy that you get from it. But there's also that tiny little bit of this excessive materialism is what saved him two times. I, and, I yeah, I have some thoughts about that. Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm hoping that it's just leaning into the comedy of it, but yeah, b- because of so many of the other themes that I picked up, th- that one is a little bit like um, I hope that's not what it's saying. But it's a very it like '80s kind of trope too, though. Um, it it kind of feels to me like you know you you were um, you mentioned Home Alone too. That scene reminded me of the movie Blank Check. Uh, which is funny because the person who's in that scene with the kid is Rick Dukeman, who's uh, or Dukeman, who's in the Burbs with Tom Hanks. Uh, but there's a scene in Blank Check where he does the same thing, where he's like running through stores and buying a bunch of stuff, and you know he's he has a blank check or, or he's got a million dollars, I think, in that movie. Um, and yeah, Tom Hanks and, 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 has four credit cards. Very do what? I said yeah, but Tom Hanks has four credit cards. He does have four credit cards, American Express gold card, even. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it, it feels like one of those very standard kind of 80s, 90s wish fulfillment kind of things where it's so much of that was always like there were so many movies that had those kind of shopping montages. But Joe versus the Volcano might have the best one because Tom Hanks is going shopping with Aussie Davis. And Aussie yeah, Davis is. is like I literally I wrote down in my notes like. I would be totally cool if the entire movie was just Tom Hanks and Ossie Davis bombing around New York on a shopping spree. <laughs> like, that sounds like the most <laughs> delightful movie ever made. Yep. Uh, and I'm going to come back thematically to uh, to the role that Ossie Davis plays in the shopping spree. Uh, but this is a, a good point to talk about. Oh, my God. Like, the side cast of characters is great. We already mentioned Dan Hedaya and, and Ossie Davis. 
but you also have Lloyd Bridges, um, which the the way that he is playing playing just like the zany eccentric millionaire, uh, the the energy that he brings to it reminds me of the energy that he has in Airplane. And when I was watching it, I said, "Looks like I picked the wrong day to quit jumping into volcanoes," which amused me. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, uh, but yeah, Lloyd, Lloyd Bridges, uh, we already mentioned Robert Stack, um, <laughs> we have not yet mentioned, so I'm going to mention them now cause I'm literally listing them off. Abe Vigoda in an incredibly <laughs> problematic role, but such yeah. a funny role and he plays it so well. And I just fucking love Abe Vigoda. He's, yeah he's great he's so good he's just like the angry grandpa of, of, of the chief of the uh the islanders oh my god he does it so well uh you get the sense that he's just kind of angry that they had to bring an outsider in that nobody else was willing to jump in the volcano because obviously he couldn't do it because he's the elder he's the leader right uh and he's just annoyed that nobody else would do it and they had to go through all this like pomp and <laughs> stuff to, to make it happen oh man but he, he he just plays certainly so well i love it you also have nathan lane doing another very problematic role but um I, another there are no other nathan lane roles that are problematic no nathan. abe vagoda played a problematic <laughs> oh, role saying. like so both abe vagoda and nathan lane uh play islanders neither of which are polynesian and so you know there could be some cultural misappropriation there or some whitewashing they, especially since all of the other islanders are not white the, it, well yes um there is there is a throwaway line and it, it so doesn't matter to the plot of the film that i feel like it has to have been an intentional yeah, we're setting up the fact that we're going to have non-indigenous people playing some of these roles where uh, when Lloyd Bridges is describing the island, he says something about how like it had uh, like Irish and and Greek and Jewish people that somehow like I, I think maybe got shipwrecked and stranded on the island and how like that infused into some of the culture. And so, again, it. It's so not important to anything else. The only reason that I can think that that line is there is to say, um, yeah, Abe Vigoda came from one of the people who was shipwrecked and not from the indigenous peoples. And Nathan Lane came from one of the Irish sailors, not from the indigenous peoples. And it, it doesn't make it less yeah. problematic, but it at least makes it less problematic. So it's, it's, trying, it's, it's weird. trying to give itself an out. Sure, yeah. Maybe. Yeah, we'll come back to some of the problematic things in a second. Uh, and then you also have Amanda Plummer. Um, she's the she's on the she's boat. The, yeah, the the person down oh, there. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Well, she's got like a she's got like is it like a Russian accent or something? Yeah, Dagmar, yeah. German. Maybe. Or Ger- oh, maybe that's what I don't know. I couldn't really understand anything that she said in the movie, which <laughs> I just found to be kind of funny. I mean, uh, you, you didn't need just, to understand and, but, anything. It's just so funny to me that they had her in this movie in such a minor, which maybe, I don't know if she was actually, I'm trying to put this into context now. I don't know if she was like actually a famous-ish person at this point. I, I don't know. Because uh, it's still like four years before Pulp Fiction, so I don't know if. Yeah. Uh, and also, uh, Carol Kane plays the hairdresser. So she has like oh, one yeah, line right. in the movie. And again, you don't need Carol Kane for that role. 
but also it totally works to have Carol Kane as the hairdresser in. Yeah, so like a bunch of even she's if also they not even credited as herself though, which I find really funny. Yeah, so like even if um even if these actors and actresses weren't big at the time, a lot of big name actors and actresses with such minor roles in this film and like this movie in no way feels like an ensemble cast. It feels like a Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan movie. And 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 it's so weird because even though Meg Ryan is in the majority of the movie because she's playing three different characters it doesn't feel like Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan actually have enough time together, but then in a very cloud Atlasian way, it does because you've been following their story, regardless of which version of her it is. And uh, yeah, it's like, I can't explain it, but when I first saw you, <laughs> and I love, he basically has almost the same like line that he has in cloud Atlas when he's meeting Halle Berry in uh, the 70s storyline. Yeah. Well, and he also says the exact same thing to two different versions of Meg Ryan, which yeah. make me question whether or not like he was feeding her a line or if he really did like just feel like she was something different or something special or, uh, or, you know, like if the movie, uh, maybe she didn't actually, really look like the same person and and it was again like the movie's visual way of saying this person is filling this void in tom hanks's life and yeah so because of that his character like hones in on the similarities and so you know like it could if it's like kind of fable-esque right styling of the film um, Yeah. all right let's <laughs> let's talk a little bit about the comedy because Again, as much as I was dying laughing through this movie, it is not necessarily that funny of a movie. Like, I could totally, totally understand why a lot of people would watch it and be like, it's not funny. It's just, it's just okay. But man, the the humor for me absolutely hits. Uh, So, Dan, you said that the first time that you watched it, you didn't really love it, but I get the feeling that you do actually love Joe versus the volcano much more now than, than you used to. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, the first time I saw this, like I said, I was 15. I was just becoming like, I watch movies, you know, I've seen the Godfather, (laughs) you know, I'm going to, I went to the theater to see dances with wolves. Joe versus the volcano wasn't what I was expecting at the time, so I didn't enjoy it. Um, middle age me, really, they a lot more because you know we've all by this point in our lives job, which is fucking work. Then jumping into a volcano, yeah, sounds better than going to work tomorrow, <laughs> without a doubt. I, I love um, how I love how like nonchalant he is about it. Whatever Lloyd Bridges asked him, he's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna have you, make you jump into a volcano. What do you say?" And he's like puffing on his mermaid pipe. And Tom Hanks just kind of sits there for a second. And he just he just shrugs. He's like, "All right, I'll do it." <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. Yeah, that's and that's you know the type of exasperation you can feel when you've been in a dead end job for a while. Yeah, you you see and, this opportunity. You're like, "Oh, I have a lot of money. I can do whatever I want, at least for a little while." Like, sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You get to live exactly how you've always wanted, at least for as long as it takes you to get to this island. Mm, Right. Um, And then you've got 
I mean, and I definitely didn't appreciate Meg Ryan the first time I watched this. It was probably like, why is she doing three different roles? This is stupid. Um, but now you're just like, <clears throat> she nailed this. She's so good one. in this movie. Like, she's uh, the... So much that there's, yeah. yeah. There's, such, there's such a great difference even between the two characters that are actually related, who aren't just... <laughs> they don't just happen to look like each other, you know? It's, yeah. And it's one of the thing that I one of the things I love the most because this is something I've come across, um, and it's that the most important thing question they have to ask you is, "Did you sleep with that like a certain person?" <laughs> and whatever your answer is is going to dictate which direction that this relationship goes from this point. <laughs> um, that was just like that was for me was a beautiful touch, you know, just by saying, "Did you sleep with my sister?" Nope. Okay, now I know what type of person you are because she obviously knew her sister. I can't say threw herself at Joe because it was just kind of like a, oh, do you wanna? I mean, yeah, I guess. do you want me to come up? Was, <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't like a romantic. It wasn't a romantic moment at all. It was just kind of like, well, this is what it's expected, I guess. Let's do this. And and Joe was like, no, that's, and that that was you know character right there yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. um it's it's so good and i think that's also why the movie ends up being so funny a lot of times because of just how like it kind of does the opposite of what the burbs does which (laughs) is where the burbs it takes like very over-the-top cartoonish characters and puts them Mm -hmm. in you know the mundane situation of being in the suburbs or whatever and then has them you know, there might be something crazy going on next door. I don't know. And in this one, it's like everything around them is so heightened. But like, Tom, like even Tom Hanks, like his his performance in this is so much subtler than I would have expected for the type <laughs> of movie that it is. Um, yeah. And and Meg Ryan definitely like what it's interesting because she could so easily, especially with the second character she plays, the redheaded. I'm trying to think of what her name is. Angelica. Uh, look it up. Angelica. Yeah. Especially with that character, she's kind of, I guess she's kind of doing a Lloyd Bridges impersonation and she has this kind of like breathy accent and it's so, it's so easily be like a bad caricature of a character, but she still like plays it with such sincerity that it makes it even funnier. Like the one, my favorite, maybe my favorite like line delivery in the whole movie is whenever she asks Tom Hanks what it is that he does. And he's like, Oh, I was an advertising whatever for a medical supply company. And she's just like, Oh, I have no response to that. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so, it's so good. And then she also has another line, like right after that, where she's like, the thing about art is it comes from someplace. <laughs> oh my god! So it's just so good. Like the I, way she plays it is so funny because again, like it it could with another actor they could easily overplay that and it wouldn't be funny. But she like sells it so well. Well, it also really really helps that it's set in L.A. You know, like somehow yeah. it it feels like more of like that '80s facade of. You know, like this is the ideal of like being successful, but you know, mm-hmm. also where everyone thinks that everyone in LA is fake, sort of thing. Like, if she had played that character in New York, I feel like it would have felt a little bit more of a caricature. But yeah. in LA, ironically, somehow, because it is, yeah, yeah, it it just worked. And God, one one of my favorite lines 
to the point where uh, I, I, maybe the time before this that I watched it, maybe two or three times before it, I kept rewinding it and watching it because it just cracked me up so much, so pointlessly, is when uh, Meg, when Angelica first meets um, Joe Banks. That, that's Tom Hanks' character. When Angelica yeah. first meets Joe and uh, when he's getting off the plane and she's saying, you know, like... Uh, my daddy told me not to say anything and you're not going to say anything and blah, 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 because you know, I can't be trusted. And then like, she kind of does a little half turn. It's like, I'm a flippity gibbet. It's just so, <laughs> it's so, dumb. it's so funny too. Cause like, I, I, don't, love it. I don't really know what a flippity gibbet is to be honest with you. But at the same time, like when she says I'm a flippity gibbet, it's like, yes, you are. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but it makes perfect sense for what, exactly you. you know exactly what she is when she says that and yeah it's it's just oh god the the delivery of some of these lines is so good uh and and eric you mentioned the the thing about art is it comes from somewhere i love 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 the fact that it transitions from her painting to the actual physical spot of where the painting was set so like the way that she's saying it feels like very yeah. artsy and you know, like this is coming from somewhere. Like it's inside of me. It's like, no, it literally came from somewhere. It's, as in a physical <laughs> it's so matter. Of, and like in the, the, the other painting, she has the thought bubbles just say like, this is a scene. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's so goofy. It's, it's, it's the kind of thing where it's like, it is so shallow and she thinks it's so deep that it almost becomes deep because of how shallow it is. <laughs> until you hear her poem, lack of profundity. Until you hear her poem and how bad it is, and then she's just like, "Do you want to hear it again?" <laughs> <laughs> and then she actually says it again. It's so, oh, it's so funny. Oh man! But then again, oh, like, what's God. great about like all of that too is with that character after she tells the poem, like she then reveals that there is this like deep well of sadness within her, and it's like, yeah, I'm doing all of this stuff, and it's all just a, an act because I don't know what else I'm doing with my life. And it's again, like, it's it's just it all comes from such a, a it, it's all just played so so grounded within those characters and um. And play with such sincerity in it, and it like loops all back around into the main theme of the movie. That's about like, yeah, you just have to do what feels right, and you know, like just make the most out of life. Which is such a I'm trying to say this in a way that doesn't sound very like just basic. Um, <laughs> well, that, but, that, but I think that's the overall message is basic, though. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> this movie and, is not super super deep with its messaging. It's just like. You know, take, literally take the leap. Yeah. That's, yeah. And, but again, like what works so well is like in a lesser movie, it would come across as so like kind of treacly or silly or whatever. But again, this movie, it feels like it is, it's like, yeah, it's an, it's a simple, I'm about to remind myself of fucking Arthur on PBS. <laughs> Cause I was going to say it's a simple message, but it comes from the heart. Well, that's that's uh, what makes it work though and and again uh eric you and i were talking about this uh off of the podcast about how i feel like this movie has so many things in common with cloud atlas in terms of the message that it's trying present trying to present and i do really enjoy cloud atlas however i love joe versus the volcano and i feel like it is a much much more effective movie 
in addressing the message because it's Does it simple. tells you exactly how to feel. It doesn't tell you exactly how to feel. It shows you <laughs> a lot of how to feel. It, it, it's very simple. And so it's not trying to be all hoity-toity with things. It is just work sucks, then you die. Might as well go on an adventure and try to find some love. Like, it's just so simple and direct. And that's mm-hmm. why it works is because it is a simple message. But there's so many other uh, like technical wrappings around it that make it a quality film and that make it funny that mm. you don't need the message to be complicated. And well, and it's smart that it wraps it up as a fairy tale too, because right. like mm. because of the way it's because of the way it does it, like when it does things where it's like, oh no, I'm losing my soul on my shoe. <laughs> it's like again, that would seem so stupid in any other kind of movie, but because of the way it's packaging this story in this fairy tale uh you know bill you or whatever i get whatever you want to call it like it it works like it makes sense because this is a fairy tale right um, and and you don't need the line of i'm losing my soul you know it's so on the nose it, also, yeah. yeah it's so on the nose that it works <clears throat> you know like you already see him step into a puddle and then into like another thing and then into another puddle. Like you already see him damaging his shoes. You don't need the line to get the connection, but somehow someone asking him what's wrong and him just saying, I'm losing my soul. I don't know. Somehow it works in a way that Mm. actually makes the scene better. Not because it's telling rather than showing, but because I, I don't know something about it. I think I it makes feel it, like it, it, it shows you that he's kind of, I feel like there's a, there's a knowingness to what he's saying. Like when he says he's losing his soul, you know, like you get the sense that he's not talking about his shoe. Right. Um, and, and, and that kind of like gives the character a little bit more dimension because it's like, yeah, he's, he knows that his life sucks and he wants to do something about it. He just doesn't know what to do other than go to his doctor and spend all his money on. <laughs> right. On a doctor. So a, a couple other uh, quick things about the comedy, because we've already been going for a while and I really want us to spend uh, a, a lot more time focusing in on some of the things that we've already been talking about. Uh, so at least we've been laying the groundwork for it. Um, but Eric, even though you said that uh, you don't feel like this movie is quite as over the top with some of the physical acting as you might have expected it to be, there's some great physical acting and some great physical comedy. And um, and man, Tom Hanks's comedic timing is, I think, practically perfect. You know, like at yeah. the end when um, when Meg Ryan number three is telling him that she loves him and he's like, well, I love you too. And I've never been in love before. And like, you get this really sweet moment and you think, Oh, maybe he's not going to do it. And like, as he's chuckling, you just like, yeah, I love you too. But the timing stinks. Got to go. And just like kisses yeah. her and walks away. <laughs> it's, Oh, it's so good. I love it. Like right after that, I thought you were going to say the scene where she says like, uh, she says that she wants to marry him. And he's like, I don't want to get married. And she's like, what are wh- why are you afraid of the commitment you're gonna like have to honor and love me for 30 seconds and then there's just like a beat and he's like oh, okay all right makes it like <laughs> it's so good like the way he reacts to it is so funny oh man it's so good uh um, i also love like my favorite bit of physical humor is whenever he does his little dance on the uh on the trunks out in the ocean yeah like that's such a great such a great scene 
because uh, he's very he he is the best at dancing poorly. <laughs> he's so, he's the best at yeah, bad dancing. Hanks. That's purely eighties Hanks, right? There. Absolutely, yeah. That that's when you get that little bit, little glimpse of it. And again, it's one of those things where it's like, like it sells the message of the movie so much. It's like he didn't have to dance, but he's like, I'm gonna fucking dance because I don't know what else to do, and it brings me joy. And I I might look like a dipshit, but I, I I'm the only one who's out here. And it's yeah, it's just so good. <laughs> he basically th- this entire movie is basically uh, that dumb graduation speech from '99 uh, that was like turned into that really shitty song where like you know there's this kind of like that thumping bass behind it and then just like some dude giving all of these useful but also really annoying platitudes where it's just like dance like no one is watching and that that's literally what he's doing he's dancing like no one's watching except for everyone who's watching in the movie um all right so one of the last things that i wanted to mention about the comedy um is it it, it is a tricky thing to talk about because it directly relates to the entire problematic portrayal of the Islanders. The slapstick comedy and just the over-the-top <clears throat> silliness of the island scenes are funny. The So, you know, like the, the guys who swing from the vines and hit the gongs and then are carried out on the stretchers with the film sped up just a little bit. It's funny. Nathan Lane dancing around in just you know ig- excessive um uh islander garb is amusing there's so many problematic things that are going on the, the uh uh the uh, the montage of them like preparing him right. i thought was kind of funny they're like smushing the banana to exfoliate him and <laughs> right, like, like biting ryan's, his toenails meg ryan's being pampered <laughs> and then like they're shoving an octopus on his face and he's fighting it off <laughs> <laughs> stuff that yeah it it is problematic i don't want to just like gloss over the, oh, and the jump cola jump cola yes. as a <laughs> as part of their attire is kind of amusing <laughs> i still don't under, again i don't understand the purpose of jump cola in well this movie. It's i'll get to just it a really i'll get to what i think like it is in a second it's like i feel like it has to be some sort of in joke with like john patrick family and his friends like they like yeah. You know, in in college, they that's all they could afford to buy was like orange soda. So that's all they ever drank. And there is the like, only thing in there is an homage to my friends. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because it's jump. Like he's got to jump in the volcano. But like the only thing I could think of is that there's like a they're kind of there's a hint of like the kind of colonialism of where it's like yeah the Americans moved in and the way that maybe like the way Lloyd Bridges kind of like uh, you know assimilated well not assimilated what's the word i'm looking for here ingratiated himself with them is like hey i brought orange soda and they're like oh yeah you're cool come on <laughs> right he yeah. he bought them with the drug of caffeine and sugar um yeah. i think both of those could be very realistic possibilities i also think some of that is is tying into the the comedy on the island of i feel like it's so over the top i mean the fact that like a lot of the island women are wearing the uh the soda cans like seashell like just uh like bras yeah like a coconut shell bra or something (laughs) it's just (laughs) so dumb (laughs) but like that's the thing is i i feel like it's so over the top and so silly that like you almost can't 
possibly think that this is the way that someone really thinks that island people are, right? Oh, like, you soda can. <laughs> <laughs> also, I just want to mention, too, that those... Those island, like the native garments and the soda can stuff, those were designed by Colleen Atwood, uh, Oscar winner <laughs> Colleen Atwood. Oh my god, I love it. Which I love that that she did this. But like costumes I, I, again, I don't want to gloss over it, especially because so much of uh, my problems with Cloud Atlas revolved around you know some of the the problematic uh, prosthetics and and using people who were not actually Korean to portray uh, Koreans. But somehow in Show vs. the Volcano, it feels so silly. It's much worse. <laughs> it's, yeah, and again, you're like, fine with a Goda being an island chief. <laughs> but like, that's the I feel thing like- is it is problematic. And I don't want to try to gloss over that at all. Somehow it also feels so silly that yeah. it doesn't feel the same. Okay, so here here is a. Um, Here's an example of here's an example of a different problematic piece in the movie that doesn't feel silly and is like ah yeah I actually have more of a problem with this as much as I love Ozzie Davis as much as I think that his role is amazing he very much especially being the only black guy in the movie his character is very much leaning into the trope of the magical black man that is, you know, like transforming Tom Hanks from this child into this yeah. world traveling cultured man. I like that at first he, they make a joke where it's like, I'm not here to tell you who you are. And like, like his little speech that he gives where he's like, yeah, I went my whole life not knowing who I am. And I finally figured it out and I'm tired. Like, I love that he's just like, Fuck off, dude, like figure it out for yourself. But then he right. ends up still like kind of doing it anyway. Which again, love Ossie Davis. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would I take life advice that. from Ossie Davis. You know, Magic I would listen to what that man said. <laughs> yeah, and but this like, was this was like a year after Driving Miss Daisy, so I was tr- I was trying to figure out like if this was supposed to be like a commentary on that movie, but I feel like it's too <laughs> close that maybe well, it's not. And and like that's the thing is I feel like that segment does lean a little bit more into that trope mm-hmm. and, and again like ozzy davis plays the role great and and you're watching it and it's like oh man i love him i would totally you know like you said earlier i would totally love to see an entire movie of uh hanks and davis just palling around new york just you know getting into hijinks like that sounds great and so like mm. you love his character but there is that tiny little bit of like all right he's the only black guy in the entire movie did you really have to lean into that trope? So, like, I, I do see some of the problematic stuff there. The island stuff, again, I, I don't want to say that it's not problematic because it is. It's also just so silly, you know? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's harder to take. They are s- not taking themselves seriously. Right. <laughs> and so, it's for me, it's almost harder to take that seriously as a, like, oh, this is a misrepresentation of indigenous peoples. And more of a maybe that's why Ava Goda is so cranky. He's like, guys, this is not right. <laughs> I should not be wearing this. <laughs> he was just actually cranky on set. Maybe so. Um, but, but like, do you see where I'm coming from with that? Where it doesn't feel like you're yeah, watching yeah. a movie that is trying to portray things more realistically, 
and then they go way problematic with something that's just like uh, oh did they have to show it that way whereas in this you know tom hanks saying hey can you give us a minute and ava go to looking up at the volcano like all right fine you got a minute but hurry the fuck up like it's it, it's just he plays the character so well and again i don't want to say that it's not problematic because it is it being from the 90s it it's one of those also like more innocently problematic things if that makes sense where it doesn't feel like as maliciously um you know culturally uh, misappropriating things and more of just hey it's the 90s here's a comedy here's some people jumping into gongs that's funny and, Definitely and just, seems self-aware yeah <clears throat> i i hope i hope so it seems self-aware especially since the whole premise of the movie is basically about a rich dude who's trying to exploit indigenous people for their resources right like yeah. that's lit i mean the whole plot of the movie is is and about like, that and guy cool. Basically, commit murder to do stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. Yeah, they like gaslight Tom Hanks oh into thinking that he's going to die, and then yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's there's also that. I feel like there is enough of the other social context to uh, to address some of that. Um, all right, man. We have so many quotes that I I want us to mention. But at the same time, it doesn't necessarily make for great podcasting because it's just here's a line that was funny. Um, but I, I do just want to mention that this movie is full of quotable lines. Like I, I had to keep pausing the movie and writing down the lines because it was yeah, just like really yep. well written. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, it's uh, there, there, there's so much, so much uh, that this movie is is quotable and. Um, yeah. Uh, one of the lines that I do want to mention, because this will lead us into the uh, bigger analysis piece that we can close things out on, is um, where Tom Hanks is saying, I don't feel good. And Dan Hedaya says, nobody feels good. After childhood, that's a fact of life. <laughs> Which <laughs> is funny in the moment, uh, but it also is, you know, kind of a huge theme with the movie. And so let's dive into that with our remaining many minutes that we have all right so we've already mentioned a little bit of the tonal shifts we've already mentioned a little bit of the uh meg ryan character and how she is playing different characters throughout the film and how uh, this entire thing is bookended by the fairy tale of once upon a time there was a man who had a lousy job and then it ends with and they lived happily ever after um so one of the, my my view on this movie and why there are the tonal shifts and why it actually works and something that Eric I wanted to tell you before the movie but I also didn't want to uh, like shape the way that you were watching it I wanted to get your raw experience and then be able to discuss it mm-hmm. I feel like this movie is telling four very distinct stories within you know like that fairy tale structure. And, and not just the fairy tale structure to kind of give a little bit of leeway of the, all right, we can show things that aren't as realistic and it's okay because, you know, it's just a fairy tale. It's fine. But also, like, the purpose of fairy mm-hmm. tales. Like, fairy tales, um, you know, like, they have a message. You know, like Grimm's, uh, Grimm's fairy tales, they're all some morality tale or some 
uh, some life lesson to teach people. And I think that that's what this movie is trying to do. Being a parent, like again, the storybook thing is illustrating that this is a parable. It is trying to tell you something. It's very upfront about that, which I find fun. Like it just, it makes me laugh because the, uh, the next movie that John Patrick Shanley did after this was like 15 years later, he did doubt, which started off as a play mm-hmm. that he wrote. And the play is called doubt a parable, <laughs> which he then won a Pulitzer prize for. So uh, yeah, yeah which he, he would he's obviously the guy who wrote the film Congo <laughs> in between. Oh, <laughs> he has such a weird screenwriting career. Yeah. So fascinating. Yeah. So yeah, the parables and, of Joe versus yeah. the volcano. I feel like mm-hmm. the um uh the opening sequence. So like when Joe is working in the factory, that that is supposed to represent what life feels like sometimes it's very repetitive it's very pointless it's very soul-sucking you know like um like we've made some jokes Makes throughout you feel this. soul sick exactly we've made some of the jokes throughout this entire uh, episode about how like jumping into the volcano and not having to go to work again uh, okay <laughs> you know like we, we can relate to some of that and eric you were saying uh, towards the beginning of the episode that even though it's an extreme and you know most of us don't work in like literally that situation there are days that we feel it you know there are days that if we're just having like an off day and and we go into work we feel that just sickly drain where the people around us are saying the same fucking thing over and over and over again mm-hmm. with the i'm not saying or uh, i know we can get the job but can you do the job i'm not saying that I know he can get the job. No, I know. I know. I know he can get the job. But can he do the job? It's not what I'm saying. I'm not arguing that with you. Like that entire sequence. Part of the reason that it is so, so hilarious to me is, again, it's relatable. Uh, Man, the one that gets me is whenever he says, like, uh, he's like, did you tell me about the catalogs? He's like, yeah, I told you three weeks ago and then two weeks ago. And he's like, but did you tell me last week? And he's like, no. And he's like, I expect better from you. (laughs) And that's such a boss thing to say. Yeah. Is that hit home? (laughs) That's the one that really got me where I'm just like, yeah, this is like, it's like he can't accept any responsibility for anything. Well, and then when the boss (laughs) says something about, like, I need those catalogs and Tom Hanks says, then order them. (laughs) He's like, watch, you better watch your tone or something. He's just like, (laughs) yeah, it's so Uh, relatable, but especially with how stylized the opening scenes are. Like those are the most depressing parts of the movie. Aside from, you know, an entire island sinking from a volcano. But, like, those are some of the most depressing points of the movie for our main character. And so, like, we as audience can relate to that because it's like, yeah, we felt that way. This is absolutely what life feels like sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then you go into uh, that shopping sequence. You get, um, you know, Lloyd Bridges saying, all right, here's all this money. Go crazy. I'm going to fly you out to, to L.A., you know, first class, and you're going to get on a yacht. You're going to die like a hero. Like, he's telling you all of the things. It's like, yeah, who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want to be able <laughs> to to live without uh, fear of how you're going to have to deal with finances and travel first class and have other people take care of things for you and have an entire people's view you as a hero? Like, of course you want to do that. Who wouldn't? And so, like, all of that, I feel like, is presenting what people think 
life is supposed to be or what success is in terms of just the money and the things. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really highlighted with Ozzy Davis, which again, I, I love his, uh, I love his portrayal. I think he does such an amazing job where after you get such a great montage of like the two of them in a relatively short period of time, it's like, yeah, you, you feel like they could be friends when Joe says, Hey, do you want to get dinner? And Ozzy's just like, no, I have a wife and kids that I go home to. Like I have a family. <laughs> This is, hmm. this is my job. I go home to my family. And like that really highlights that even though Joe has all of this stuff now <clears throat> and, you know, like he, he's got all of these pointless things that might or might not, you know, play a role later in the movie, he's still alone. And then he's lying well, in bed in this you know yeah. huge hotel in bed alone. And like it, it, it just highlights that things aren't what actually make life but it's what people think life is supposed to be right well what's funny to me is the idea that like he buys all of these things and for basically the entire movie they just stay in their trunks right you know like he buys the trunks obviously and they 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 are the big plot point but it's like when i was watching the movie i was like what does he actually have in these trunks and i'm like oh yeah i guess it's just all the useless shit that he bought that he literally never uses yeah he just keeps them tucked away um because again that's like i feel like that's 90 percent of what like so many of us once we come into some money we buy a bunch of shit because it makes us feel happy because we can and then most of that stuff just gets piled in a corner somewhere or whatever like you know it it's uh especially when you're buying stuff for kids you you realize like how much (laughs) money you spend on useless shit that just gets looked at once and then never touched again yeah like oh man my my kids if i leave toys out they don't play with it for a while because it's just like eh, mm. whatever as soon as i put something away oh yeah then it's absolutely. just like why do, oh here's a new toy it's like no dude that's the same toy that has been and we spend right here for the last right. month that you didn't see because other toys were on top of it yeah and this is what we spend most of our lives working for like we spend yeah. so much time working to earn money to buy shit that we don't need like it's the it's the fight club coal yeah thing. and, and, and absolutely um you know, but but yeah like that entire sequence part of the reason that i related it to home alone 2 is it feels very kevin McAllister, especially home alone one of just like yay my parents are gone my family's gone i can do whatever i want i'm gonna eat junk food and watch trashy movies and it's just like those aren't responsible things those are the kid views of what you think like being able to be an adult is and and that's what mm. tom hanks in that moment feels like so again like that entire sequence to me feels like what the world is telling you this is what success looks like yeah and then you get what life actually is you get the journey you know you you get some of the uh some of the opening up about yourself to to those around you and and exposing yourself emotionally not you know not physically uh you know like with some of the conversation that he has with angelica about like yeah i've got some darkness in me too and it's all about we don't have much time so let's do the best that we can with the time that we have and um you know then when he meets the the third uh, variant of meg ryan and she's much more like down to earth and much more like i am my own person and you get uh, that that great little conversation about i don't believe in god but i believe in me just in terms of like some of that autonomy and some of the like the decisions that we make 
then have an impact. And and so the journey getting to the island, being lost adrift at sea, like that's what life is. Mm-hmm. It's not the most optimistic part of the movie, and it kind of drags at points. Um, but like I disagree. I, I think it's maybe the most optimistic part of the movie because so much of that 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 is about like yeah, shit sucks, but there's still something you there's always something you can do about it. Like the the most incredible moment of the entire movie, I think, is that is the part when he you would expect him to be the most down in the dumps, which is when he's marooned out there uh you know meg ryan's in a coma or whatever for whatever reason his skin is like burnt up and then the moon comes up and he's just like thank you god like it's so big this is like thank you for my life right and it's so unexpected when that moment happens well um, but, but like that's that's some of the stuff though is like yes it's hopeful because of like you you rediscover some of that awe and wonder and you you feel like that tiny little speck in in this massive cosmos especially with how fucking big the moon is like it is unsettling unsettlingly uh, <clears throat> unsettlingly big but like in a way that feels like it is very much highlighting you are worthless but in a way where recognizing your worthlessness is part of what allows you to just like find that awe and wonder and find worth Mm -hmm. in yourself and like so there's there's all of this stuff happening and again i feel like that journey from getting on the boats to getting to the island is what life is and then when you get to the island, that's representing what what we want life to be. You know, we want to be the hero. We want to be the person filled with so much courage that we're able to jump into the volcano and live to tell about it. You know, like he's mm. he's basically um, invulnerable. We want to be able to be spontaneous and just marry the person that we love. Like, right. even though you've just met them, and you don't really know them. It's like, yeah, I love you. We're going to do this and we're going to make it work. And um. Yeah, well, he even what's the states at one, at one point that the thing like something that he admires more than anything else is courage. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. He, he says I'm not, I have no interest in myself. I'm interested yeah. in courage. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And so like all of these things are like yeah, that's like that's the dream, you know, to be mm-hmm. the hero of our own story, to find the love of our life, and never have to worry about whether or not uh, it, it was the right person. Because, of course, it is, because they lived happily ever after, which, again, I, I love the fact that it ends with that, because it's kind of highlighting that stories don't always end with, and they lived happily ever after. In fact, you know, the statistics on divorce say more than half of them do not end that way. <laughs> And like, even with an entire island sinking and all of those people dying, it happens off screen. So for the main character, it doesn't matter because they live happily ever after. And you get some of the, well, wherever we go, we're taking this luggage. And, you know, like there's so much about that stuff that happens where it's like it, the ending feels just as unrealistic as the beginning, because I feel like those are the two most unrealistic parts of when we're feeling down, we have such a distorted view on the world in the yeah. way that Tom Hanks's character has such a distorted world around him in that moment. And mm-hmm. then when we're, you know, 
uh, living based off of just our flights of fancy, that's just as unrealistic. And and again, because of some of the uh, the connection to you know like stage plays, and because of the very uh, very prominent uh, visualizations and very prominent like set design with some of the early stuff, and then a little bit more in the later uh, segments. I feel like these four different stories are intentional. I could be wrong, but I don't think. Oh that yeah, I am. I think so. mm. absolutely. I mean, they. I think the way you've broken it down is 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 perfect. I mean, that's that's exactly what I feel like. What I was getting out of those different things, which I, I love to like the way the movie. Like we talked a little bit about how like each of those stories are so distinct that like it's it's it makes the movie so much more memorable. To a certain extent, like there's so many times where I watch a movie and then two weeks later, I'm like, I don't remember anything that happened in that. But I feel like Joe versus the volcano is one that's really going to stick with me because of the way it breaks it up into those various stages. Um, and again, like just the by the end of it, like I, the optimism of that ending where it's like, yeah, we just jumped into a volcano and now we're adrift at sea. But you know what? We're going to be all right. I don't know how, but we're going to be all right. Like there is a... I like I I want to say that the the um the mood of this movie is like there's an optimistic fatalism to it which I <laughs> sure. find really fascinating. <laughs> um and, well, and I like that a lot about it. I do have in a minute I'll get to it, but I I do have a a darker uh interpretation of how this movie plays out that I don't think is intentional but is maybe kind of like an interesting ironic take on Maybe it isn't. I don't know, but um, well, and it, like, it's it's yeah. The movie is so optimistic that my other version of the way the movie is played out is the opposite of optimistic. Which again, I mean, has a lot of darkness into it. Like it doesn't shy away from the fact that life sucks a lot of the time. Um, but again, at the end of the day, it's like yeah, we just have to have faith that things are going to work out and do the best we can to be happy. Well, as much fun as I have with this movie and as much as I love it, and it, even though I do watch it uh, in more of that optimistic style, you know, we started with you saying that you were reading these different letterbox reviews that uh, were, you know, some people were saying like, oh man, it's the most hopeful movie ever. Others were saying like, it is just incredibly bleak. Others, you know, talk about just how they gloss over the fact that an entire island sinks with everyone on it. So like, when when uh, and they're totally oblivious to the suffering of all of those people. <laughs> well, and like when you texted us that before the episode, I was like, yeah, I I totally can see why every single one of these critiques is correct because of these four different stories and which story not necessarily resonates the most with you, but the story that sticks with you the most afterwards. You know, like you said, you feel like there's going to be parts of this movie that are going to stick with you. Whichever of these four stories is the one that sticks with you, that is going to be how you remember the movie. And, you know, I, because mm. I remember it's some it's of the It's an interesting, like, things. litmus test, I feel like, where you, so much of the movie, I think, is is so broad that, like, it allows you to kind of fill that space with yourself, which is, I think, part of the reason why it has such a polarized reaction, because it's all about what you bring to the movie and what you want to take out of it. Right. Well, and I definitely think that there is room for this movie to be incredibly dark because you could very, very easily. And I know that you hate this. I know that you hate this, uh, this sort of mechanic. And so, uh, as soon as I say it, you're going to be like, no, if that's what's happening, then I hate this movie. 
And I do not. It's all in his head. I do not think that this is what's happening. But you could very easily watch this movie as he also died when the ship sank. Or he died when he jumped in the volcano, or yeah. he died of a brain cloud, or <laughs> a brain cloud. Yeah, he uh, he stepped out of the car, and when he stepped in that mud puddle, he tripped and broke his neck. The whole thing's <laughs> I mean, yeah. you could say that he really me. is the flower in the cement at the beginning uh, of the movie. Yeah, we, we haven't mentioned that yet. Yeah, and so, like. Um, Oh man, there there are so many of those other little things. Like uh, Danny just mentioned that that flower that keeps getting stepped on, um, especially because there's all of these very obviously men's shoes that keep walking past it, and then like an incredibly obvious woman's shoe that steps on it and crushes this little daisy growing up through the cracks of the cement. Uh, in, yeah, I thought that wall. was an interesting choice to have it be a woman's shoe crush it. Yeah. <laughs> It was probably Meg Ryan's foot, to be honest. Probably. probably was. She was everything else in this movie. <laughs> yeah, like I kept uh, expecting to like see those shoes on like Angelica or something, um, but I, I don't think that you ever get that payoff. But, um, but yeah, so like you have that flower that gets crushed, and then Tom Hanks trying to you know like put it back together. Uh, Eric, you mentioned earlier the I'm losing my soul when his shoe is falling apart. Um, when when he quits his job and and he's packing up all of his books and he uh, he highlights Robinson Crusoe, Romeo and Juliet, and the Odyssey, which so on the nose of telegraphing what the movie is, but also like you know that's that's about being alone and finding love and going on a journey, which yeah, again on the nose, but you know thematically also really highlights the uh the tone of the film it's it, i mean it highlights what he desires out of life yeah exactly like those are the wants, things that yeah. he's read and that's what he wants life to be um the the pipe in his office that says do not touch and even before he quits and is like oh. spinning the wheel on it when he walks past it and is like just tiptoeing his fingers around it showing you that like he, he's so tempted do something to take a chance and you know push the button that says do not push um, uh, this is that's one of my favorite jokes in the movie is whenever he comes back and he twists it and he's like i wanted to do that for so long and nothing <laughs> happened yeah and, and again like you oh, get some so of good. that set up without it being incredibly highlighted when he's walking past it and just like touching the thing that says don't touch um with with the boat that uh, that Meg Ryan has being called Tweedledee and there being the sister boat Tweedledum, you know, obviously uh, uh, Alice in Wonderland reference, but you know, I feel like this entire movie could be like Tom Hanks going down that rabbit hole and chasing the white rabbit, but in this case, the white rabbit saying, you know, oh, I'm late, I'm late, is just like his own clock running out, and so mm. like he's chasing his own death clock to try to. Do something but before things end. So, like, there's all of these other little... Liberty gibbet sounds like a Lewis Carrollism. <laughs> it absolutely does. Very much. So, like, there's all of these other little details that really highlight, again, just some of that existentialism driving the tone of this movie. Mm. And that absolutely it, it could be why this movie um, is not universally loved and why I totally think that it works with our Thanksgiving series of you know some of the underappreciated Hanks films because like I I could easily see someone not liking and not getting Joe versus the volcano and I wouldn't fault mm. them for it I would think they're wrong well but there's 
there's a part of me that thinks that this movie could be like it wouldn't surprise me if Shanley came out and said something like yeah everybody's been reading this movie wrong it's actually a satire about white saviors and how like Tom Hanks gets <laughs> some money and then once he gets some money he goes on this journey and he is just totally oblivious to the suffering of other people around him and everywhere mm. he goes people die and he just doesn't he like it's everybody has to suffer to like fulfill his self-actualization and it's and it's largely at the hands of marginalized people right like they're the <laughs> ones who have to suffer for him you know he is technically a victim of the rich person but that's only because the rich dude just keeps everybody down um but he is also a, just a cog in the machine that serves this guy and is bending to his will and <laughs> Honestly, so that like, only makes me love the movie more because again, yeah, like, like I, it, it I adds so that much is, depth that you to could, it. Yeah, I love that you could like that it, that you could have that read on the movie and it still kind of fit. Yeah, again, because of the, how wacky the tone gets at times, you know, it could be very like you could interpret it as being very satirical, which is why I kind of had a little bit of a like for the first like 30 minutes or so I was like all on board but then as the movie gets wackier and wackier I would like found myself kind of like I don't know if I like the idea that the movie is in on the joke you know I kind of like it better when the characters are and part of it too I think is just Tom Hanks's journey is like at the beginning of the movie like he is existing in this very heightened reality and he's so like indifferent to it that he doesn't recognize how absurd the situation around him is but then as the movie goes on like it it feels like it's a little bit more wink wink nudge nudge like isn't this kooky and crazy like look how wacky this is and that the characters also start to recognize it a little bit more um but again that could just be the fact that he is literally waking up to the world around him um you know they even have the whole like line in the movie about like most people spend their lives asleep and those who are awake uh I'm paraphrasing because I can't remember, but those who are right. awake live in a constant, with a constant sense of amazement. Um, yeah, and that's how I'd like to take it. You know, like, I don't think that the silliness and zaniness breaks the movie. Again, I love the scene when they're fishing and he pulls up the shark and the shark looks at them and screams. I love it. <laughs> like, to me, it doesn't break the tone of the film. It Maybe. comes very close, like it, and I don't I'm, like. I don't want to say that like it makes me hate the movie or anything, but that was a scene where I was like, "What the fuck did what? Like where did <laughs> well, this? Like it was so out of left field." I um, I think that for me, part of the reason that it works is I was already laughing so much that that was just another thing that I laughed at, rather than mm. it being like, "Oh, they they're playing things so seriously," and then things got zany. It like to me, it, it was funny throughout. It's just the kind of humor changes. The humor and... gets more slapsticky as it goes. Like it starts off, and I think it's be- again because of the way the the arc of the plot works. Like it has to be very dreary and dry at the beginning, and it's still very funny. But then as it goes on, it's just like things get more and more over and almost like it reminds me of the first time I watched Wet Hot American Summer, and I didn't realize it was a spoof <laughs> movie. And so for like the first like 15 to 20 minutes of the movie, I'm like, oh yeah, this is, this is funny. And then like things got more and more ludicrous and I'm like, what the f*** am I watching? Like, like, and when you go into a, a movie masterpiece. like that, not knowing that it's, which I, I love that movie now, but the first time I watched it, we, we've talked about this, we did the episode on it, but like the first time I watched it, I was like, 
I don't like this movie. That's not the kind of movie I was looking for at all. I thought it was going to be like fucking dazed and confused at a summer camp. <laughs> so I was really surprised. Well, and uh, that's well, why I was honestly a little worried about whether or not you were going to like Joe versus the volcano. And why, when you said you were kind of having a shit day, I was a little happy because I was like, oh, maybe this will heighten his appreciation of being mm. able to relate to the character and uh, and yeah. really appreciate the I, I kept the humor. waiting for the text, like, I'm 30 minutes into it. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm hurling myself into the volcano, yeah. into the fires of Mount Wu. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Um, yeah, I again, so much love about this movie. I think that the more that you unravel it, the more it can work. Like, I, I think that all of these layers of complexity totally could, could be very viable. You know, like the, this being a satire on white saviorism, I can totally be on board with that. And, uh, this movie kind of highlighting the indifference of those suffering around you who are actually suffering when you just kind of, you know, you just think, think you're suffering because you are miserable in your life. And so you think that your problems are so much worse than the problems of everyone around you. Right. Like it, it feels very much like, uh, you know, how white people complain about everything, but then like tell black people to suck it up when it comes to things like being murdered by police and, you know, like just <laughs> one of many, many examples. Right. Yeah. And like, I, I feel like all of that works like i feel like all of that complexity maybe white privilege is a better like instead of white saviorism he he is a bit of a white savior because he's coming to which i mean obviously also the tribal people are white but i think white privilege is probably the better thing that it's the better subject right well and and, and again i think that either of those would work but yeah like all of these complexities i think totally can work with this film and in a way that i'm i'm sure that we are adding more to this movie than what really exists but I don't think that we're that far off base either. You know, like I, I think that some of the stuff would probably uh, uh, that Shanley would probably be like, oh, yeah, that's totally what I was trying to do again. Maybe not to the extent that we're talking about it, but maybe. But again, you can also just watch this movie as a silly romantic comedy and and it work and like not worry about any of the depth and still enjoy it. And, you know, cause, mm-hmm. because there is some of the quirkiness, you get the lines like, I'm a flipperty gibbet, which, you know, whatever, it's amusing. It makes me laugh. Um, or like when Meg Ryan number three meets Tom Hanks and, and she Patricia, calls him, by the way, that's, Patricia. that's Meg Ryan number three's name. So when Patricia calls him Felix and he's like, my name is Joe. And she's like, whatever, Felix. Again, like, it's not <laughs> that funny, but it's also amusing and and it works but that also can totally tie in to you know like trying to discover who you are and uh and and sort of like finding that personality and finding your identity to the point where when she was like you know she kept calling him felix and he's like my name is joe and she's like all right fine joe so again like there's a lot of the stuff that i feel like does give this movie a lot of depth uh we mentioned this a little bit earlier and I said I was going to come back to it. Um, we kind of skipped over it, but the uh, the lightning bolt image. You mm. see that during kind of like kind of like uh, lightning bolts. You know what they remind me of? They remind me of pivotal points in the movie where Tom Hanks is at a <laughs> juncture to make a change, 
and and he has to decide whether or not to follow that as he very directly says in the the movie that crooked path to lead him to where he's supposed to be Mm. you want to relate it to cloud atlas but cloud atlas does it so much dumber because cloud atlas like highlights it and like very specifically zooms in to let you know this thing is an important thing and then they never actually do anything with it and it's dumb and it's one of my biggest problems with cloud atlas and and it bugs me great also i just want to say though i i I sent you the picture but i literally like laughed out loud at the end of the movie when tom hanks and meg ryan (laughs) jump into the volcano and they are shot out like a shooting star and I was like, oh, shit, it's the comet from Cloud Atlas. It's making an appearance in this movie, too. Well, and then I, I said the thing where I was like, maybe it's just an homage to Joe versus the volcano. And then Nathan will love it. I, I And honestly, if that's what the Wachowskis were doing, I'm totally on board. Uh, like, I, I love the idea well, that all of the versions of Meg Ryan in this movie have a have a, cl- a comet shaped birthmark somewhere on their body. I'd, I'd be fine with that because <laughs> there's one other thing that does re- uh, kind of tie joe versus the volcano to cloud atlas in a way that if this is the case for cloud atlas i'm actually fine with the stupid birthmarks and how dumb it is joe versus the volcano could very very easily be watched as old joe telling the story of how he met his how how he met his wife to like his, his mother your mother yeah he's, he's basically how i met your mothering it so like oh my god i want a cloud atlas spinoff of how uh, like that's like how i met your mother but with old tom hanks telling the story well and 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 like honestly in uh, cloud atlas if that's what's going on if it is old tom hanks telling the story to his grandkids about and like this is the history of the world because you know like uh, much like in uh, uh, older times before written language where stories and, and life lessons and morals were all passed through the spoken word in mm. that far future where they've lost some of that as well. The spoken word is also what is keeping society alive. And so telling his grandkids these stories, of course, you're going to use some of the thematic elements to tie them together. And so yeah. you're going to highlight the uh, that stupid fucking birthmark because it's the keystone that exactly. ties it all together. Exactly. And that also could be the thing happening in Joe versus the volcano. It could be him telling his kids or grandkids once upon a time, there was a man who hated his job. Me, I'm that Mm -hmm. man. And so like, he's exaggerating some of these things to, to really highlight what the purpose of the story is supposed to be for his kids. And so like uh, with Mm -hmm. DD in the office, you know, when he's like, you know, I, I, the first time that I saw you, like, I felt like I knew you. She might not actually look anything like Patricia, but as he is trying to explain to his kids why he knew that there was a connection with Patricia and why he yeah. knew that they were supposed to be together. Like, even this other woman at his office, he's going to, like, describe her as more like uh, more like Meg Ryan to kind of tie some of that in. I don't yeah like that also, but it can work and and again that's one of the few explanations for cloud atlas that i'm like all right fine i then i'm on board with it i also just like the like now i'm just thinking about how you could tie like uh fold joe versus the volcano into cloud atlas as the seventh story like so i want to see this should be my uh 
like a thing that I do where I take Joe versus the volcano and try to edit it into Cloud Atlas. Well, that, that's what they do at the top of the mountain when he takes Halle, ba- uh, Halle Berry up there. Is they're actually jumping into a volcano? Oh my god! Yeah, like the, see, the, the parallels are there. Like it totally works. God damn! I'm doing this. <laughs> this is this is a project. Hey, speaking of uh, this movie being a keystone to so many other films. This movie is the key. Hey, you picked up on my segue. Just so many of Tom Hanks's. Of course I did, because it's, you know, as obvious as a lightning bolt on the side of a mountain. Um, th- there's so many or, things about this movie yeah. that there's, there's no possible way, unless this movie is from the future and really is cloud atlasing it, there's no possible way that any of these connections were intentional. Unless, like, I think people this movie love Joe versus like the volcano the so much. <laughs> yes, this is this is the dark tower of Tom Hanks's filmography. It's the one that ties them all together. And I'm totally all on board with that. Serve the beam. Yes. <laughs> and all, like, all, all all Hanks movies serve the volcano. Uh, yes, because <laughs> this movie is literally saving Mr. Banks. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. Characters that's Joe, uh, Joe Banks. Yes. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. When uh, when he and um, uh, Angelica are sitting up in the car, look on you know like the makeout point, looking down on L.A., and he says it's like looking down on the stars, almost as if he were in a spaceship going to the moon, like in Apollo thirteen. He also becomes a rocket. He also <laughs> does we become forget. a rocket. He, he and background become a rocket. <laughs> Uh, he also is sleeping on a boat much in the same way that he lived on a boat in you've got mail and uh, the, the connections with castaway are you know obvious for the uh, the shipwrecking and uh, just kind of being stuck at sea for a while uh, and then when when they are stuck at sea and he's playing his little song on a ukulele it's a cowboy song oh my god that song is so amazing yeah I- you, you know that that was so, also uh, written by Shanley, right? I did. Say, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, it's <laughs> so good. Uh, but yeah, I love so, his little song and how he says giddy up at the end. Much in the same way that uh, he plays a cowboy in Toy Story. You, does. You, you've also got a bunch of white people going off to help a bunch of less fortunate people of color, a la volunteers. Mm. Ah, that's true. Yes. Yeah. Man. Yep. There's so much about this movie. Uh, you, <laughs> Eric, you wrote this one down, so uh, you you can say the one about the uh, uh, the dear God, a dear God. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. So so again, one of my favorite parts of the movie. He says, "Dear God, whose name I do not know. Thank you for my life. I forgot how big, which is obviously a reference to big." <laughs> that's the name of the movie <laughs> that is the name of the movie uh also that entire shopping sequence it kind of feels like big where again he's a kid playing an adult uh mm. and then god i hate this one so much but the cover of the dvd that i have is the worst cover of this movie it's that's so dumb bad. it is just a close-up of tom hanks and meg ryan and and i hate it and the original cover of them standing on the luggage with the giant moon behind them. I, I love that. And it's great. And it's iconic. And like, that's what I always picture when I think Joe versus the volcano, the cover of the DVD that I have looks like the uh, Turner and Hooch um, image. Yeah. 
It tries to make it, yeah, it's like really emphasizing like, hey, this is a Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan movie. You should uh, check out this great romantic comedy. Nothing weird in here. <laughs> don't worry about don't worry about that volcano thing like it's it's fine it's mostly tom hanks and meg ryan no existential dread at all <laughs> no uh, uh weird ass hammerhead sharks in this fucking movie <laughs> <laughs> whatever that shark is awesome uh dan i feel like we have been uh just absolutely monopolizing this conversation before we get to our rewatchability and recommendation pairings uh any additional thoughts that you want to add Joe versus the volcano that we've not already exhausted. No, no, I've, I've been having fun listening to this one. <laughs> I didn't I, write down any I, notes. I really, I really enjoyed this film, but I, I am not nearly as passionate as you two are about this one. So it's been fun to kind of sit back and watch this one happen. <laughs> well, at least uh, you're enjoying it. I haven't been referring to my notes or anything because Nathan, like I saw the notes that Nathan put together. I'm like, he's got this. He's, he's got, he he is driving this shit for sure. Well, you know, it was, it was my pick. So, yeah. Oh, also we forgot to mention too, as part of my white privilege narrative, um, all those people on the boat die whenever he gets shipwrecked. And again, at no point in this movie, does he ever express regret for loss of life, which I find to be. Not not once is there, did, did anybody else wash up on the shore? Like, we were on yeah. a boat, like people. Did any of them show up? <laughs> just it's it's just so funny to me that at no point in this movie is anyone ever like, oh man, it's a shame all those people had to die or be like, cut, like literally melted by lava or the island sinks <laughs> into the ocean or whatever the hell happens. And well, like, ob- at no point, obviously, uh, the volcano god was angry because it's only supposed to be one person jumping into the volcano. Ah, uh, that's it. Yeah, and... makes sense. He he broke the rules. Yep. Oh my god, we didn't even talk about the whole like y- the, when when Tom Hanks says maybe I should get a second opinion about a brain cloud, <laughs> and Meg Ryan's like, wait, you didn't get a second opinion about something called a brain cloud? Oh man, that is. Wait. Such a hilarious line. Yeah, it's very funny. First off, it's hilarious. Secondly, it's kind of dark because to me, it reminded me just ever so slightly of the end of The Graduate, where it's like you want them to be happy. You want them to live happily ever after because the movie tells you that they will be. But there is an ellipsis at the end, though. But like you get the feeling that she is going to be sick of his shit. Uh, like, wait not. a minute, you're an idiot. <laughs> Hold on a second. <laughs> Can we get this thing annulled now? <laughs> like, well, I, is it technically a legal marriage? Because <laughs> yeah, Ava goes just moments later. <laughs> I don't think he got time to sign any paperwork. <laughs> it's it's really funny how he's just like, you want to marry her? You want to marry him? All right, you're married. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's just done with it. Just everything. The most Avagoda wedding of all time. <laughs> yeah, considering that Island doesn't exist anymore, I don't think this is legal. <laughs> Maybe it's the island from Moana, and it, it's actually uh, to uh, what's it? Tafiti? Fe- to Tafiti? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, you, you know what happened? Um, it was their woo ding day because wow. the volcano was woo. Nathan. What? That's. I'm sorry. I'm so, I'm sorry. <laughs> what? 
I'm just sorry. Like I just, I'm just, I'm sorry about everything. It's. I feel like I feel like this is the opposite of the scene where Tom Hanks is thanking God for everything, for all of it. I'm just like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm done with, I'm done with everything. I can't. I can't abide that pun. Why not? It's a great pun. Ah, uh, yep. There, there are probably more things that I want to talk about, but it's getting late. We've been talking far too long, and we still have a few things left to say. So let's move in to the rewatchability and, and pairings. Um, I obviously think that this movie is incredibly rewatchable, even though it's been a couple of, year, a couple of years since I have watched it, of all of the ones that we've covered for our Thanksgiving series. And granted, that was just, you know, four films. Um, Joe versus the volcano might be the one that I would want to rewatch the most. Like mm. if, if I had an option of, uh, the burbs punchline cloud Atlas and Joe versus the volcano to watch tonight, I'd probably go with Joe versus the volcano again. It, it would be a struggle of Joe versus the volcano versus the burbs. Um, mm. it, it, it would be a real struggle, but mm. I don't know, just because of, you know, everything else that we've been talking about over the last two years with just living in a pandemic and just all of those daily frustrations and just all of that, just just tiredness and just general malaise that, that we've been dealing with. Again, very much like Tom Hanks, where there's obviously so many more important issues happening, but that doesn't like decrease the frustrations that we're feeling. I can yeah. relate so much more to Joe Banks than I can to, um, to whatever his character was in, in the burbs. Now there, there's some overlap and, and again, the, we talked about that a little bit with just the, the fact that, you know, like he's at home with the burbs where he's at home and yeah. he has this time and he doesn't know what to do with it. And so like, he just starts kind of getting into trouble, but, uh, yeah, just especially those opening scenes of Joe versus the volcano. It's like, yeah, yeah, I feel that. Um, but yeah, so insanely rewatchable for me. Uh, I, I would watch it tomorrow. I would watch it every day this week. I have too many other movies that I need to watch, so that's not going to happen. But I very easily could rewatch it that often. Dan, what about you? How rewatchable is Joe versus the Volcano for you? It will not take me 20 plus years to rewatch this again. That's <laughs> for sure. Um, I hope not. No. Uh, I, I could see this fitting this back into, you know, Thanksgiving every year. I, I wouldn't have an issue with that. Yeah. yeah. Be a good way to either start or end the uh, the month. Mm-hmm. Eric, what about yeah, you? Yeah, um, I'm kind of the same way. I, I really want to revisit this sometime soon. Uh, if I actually will, who knows? Because I rarely ever revisit movies when I intend to. Uh, but I, I would love to because... Uh, I, th this is just like a, a genre that kind of speaks to me. Like I, I'm, I'm a total sap. I love <laughs> movies that are like designed to be life affirming in some way. Um, and that are just like, it, it's, it's one of those movies where despite like some of the darker elements to it, it is so optimistic that I could easily see myself like I'm in a terrible mood. What's going to make me feel better. I know I'm going to watch, Joe versus the volcano, like, or at the very least, 
watched Meg Ryan as Angelica <laughs> do whatever she is doing in those scenes and just be delighted uh, to no end. Because yeah, it, this is this is a, a great movie. I really I really love it, and like my appreciation for it has only grown over the course of this conversation. Because there there were those lingering little things where I'm like, ah, I don't know how I feel about some of this stuff, but like I don't like the things that bother me. I don't think are flaws with the movie. Like I think they're all things that were part of the design of the film that I just wasn't sure if they worked for me at first. Um, but again, the more that we've talked about it and the, that I've worked through it, I think that I. I like it even more at this point. And I would like to go back and revisit it with some of those contextual things in mind. That makes me happy. Uh, apparently we've been talking so well, I've been talking so much that my uh, voice is starting to go. Uh, yeah, that, that makes me happy that the yeah. parts that you were just kind of like, eh, uh, ended up being things that, that do work. I threatened to uh, come on here and talk for like 30 minutes straight about how it doesn't make sense for Meg Ryan to play multiple characters to, uh, to give you some payback for your com- comment stuff on uh, the Cloud Atlas episode, but I can't do that to you. It's <laughs> it works. It's all good. Oh, all no, good you, things. You totally could have done that, uh, especially since my problems with the characters was a complicated thing and did just burr. Anyway, I couldn't keep up the charade. This movie, yeah, like Cloud Atlas is such a, a complicated beast of a movie, and this one, uh, it's 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 straightforward and everything that it does, it's uh, it does does really well. It knows exactly what it's doing and it executes it very well yeah well and the movie is also like you said it's kind of in on the joke like when uh when tom hanks first meets patricia and he's standing next to angelica and he looks at her it's just like your half sisters like there's that little bit of just like wait a second so again the movie i think does it so much better than cloud atlas because it's in on the joke uh, so, so Eric, let's, uh, let's circle back around and start with you on what movies would you pair with Joe versus the volcano? Oh yeah. So the, the, the impression that I got from this movie is that it was really trying to be like kind of a classic Hollywood picture, um, in terms of the way that it's filmed and the fact that it is kind of stagey uh and that everything's on a sound stage so the the i think the one that i want to highlight first is the powell and pressburger film a matter of life and death which goes all in on the fantasy side of it but it is also this very like existential kind of film where it's about a person who was sent to heaven who was not supposed to go to heaven he was supposed to stay on earth essentially and so there's like this big trial kind of thing where it's about like him possibly being sent back to heaven or back to earth um, it's this really wonderful, like kind of high fantasy movie where it has like the, uh, some of the scene, like it has half of it played out in black and white, half of it in technicolor. And it has these like big broad, like changes in style that fit kind of like what this movie is doing. Um, God, that was a really poor way of doing this. I'm just going to name the other movies without <laughs> trying to explain why I'm, uh, sure. You guys can figure I, it out. I, I think we're all starting Brazil. to fade a little bit. Yeah, I mentioned Brazil earlier. Um, another one that I like that I th- think would work really well is uh, The Apartment, the Billy Wilder movie. Um, Lost in Translation, Modern Times, the Charlie Chaplin movie. Um, and It's a Wonderful Life. I think those are all those are all my big movies I would pair with it. And Cloud uh, Atlas, of course, because it works with any movie. Well, I mean, Great. In, any Hanks movie would pair well. And not just because it's Hanks, but because it just it, it works well. 
Uh, I, I love that you included uh, Lost in Translation. When I saw that as one of the ones that you were going to mention, I was like, oh, yes, that's so good. Yeah, that's one of those like kind of two lost souls finding each other and like finding solace in one another in a time in their life that's depressing. That is it, it, like it, it's a movie like the whole time, like there are sad things happening. But in the end, it just makes you feel kind of optimistic. Well, speaking of uh, depressing things, Dan, what are your pairings? <laughs> because Jesus, oh, your pairings—Andy's got amazing pairings. Oh my god, I love them! I will fight you on this. Uh, I mean, the entire movie is the Last Temptation of Christ. It's a man who is struggling through the world, who is shown the best of what life could be, but in the end, still has to choose to die in order to transcend. It's Damn. the last temptation to go. I wish we had more time <laughs> to talk about this because this is the best. Uh, I love that so much. Um, Tom Hanks is Jesus. Again, because yes. this film just screams some Terry Gilliam. Uh, I went more with the magical realism and uh, melancholia of the Fisher King than Brazil. Uh, mm. It's just got much of this film has just an overlying kind of sadness to it. Yeah, I haven't um, actually seen the Fisher King. I, I really, I need to remedy that. You need to. Well, it also pairs well uh, with the Hammerhead Shark, because Tom Hanks <laughs> in that moment is the Fisher King. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, then I've got uh, what well, the Larchman Trier film, who's always known for being upbeat, uh, but Melancholia. And the reason I chose this is because. The main character of the film starts out just incredibly depressed and just this... gets gets more lively as they get closer and closer to inevitable death. This I mean, is a I mean, fun sure. pairing. I, I like well maybe not fun, but I, I this is a pairing I never would have ever thought of, but it fits so perfectly as like the the yang to to the yin of Joe versus yeah. the volcano. And then lastly, I've just got Thelma and Louise because it's just that kind of go for broke energy where mm-hmm. life, life sucks. We've got a chance to do something absolutely crazy with the rest of our day. Let's do it. I maybe should have been called Thelma and Louise versus the Canyon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it really should have. Uh, I I adore your pairing stand. Like and and again, that's one of the things that I love good. so much about Joe versus the volcano is each of your movie pairings that you picked with as heavy as they are work. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and like there's no way that you could convince someone who hasn't seen Joe versus the volcano to be like, hey, you know what? You really need to watch this with melancholia. They'd be like, "What? What are oh, you yeah. talking That's about?" That's what I, I want to go find some Lars Van Trier fanboy who just is so serious about his art. You know, oh man, you love melancholia. Have you seen Joe versus the volcano? <laughs> Same thing. Same thing, man. <laughs> the idea that like Lars Von Trier watched uh, uh, Joe versus the volcano, and he's like, "Nope, not sad enough." <laughs> he's like, "Why?" <laughs> Why is the moon so big? It must be crashing into the world. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So with with Last Temptation of Christ, obviously you can also put uh, The Matrix in there, um, which, you know, would would be a nice little triple feature of Cloud Atlas, Joe vs. the Volcano, and The Matrix. Um, Yeah, I'd I'd watch that any day. Man, again, 
love Joe versus the volcano. I love how each of you went in such different directions of your pairings. You know, like Eric, you went more with the, the, the cinematic style and especially some of like that early high cinema stuff. Uh, Danny went with much more of that darker thematic elements and I'm just kind of all over the place. Uh, I, I've got a bunch on here <laughs> that I'm, like, I'm you know, very excited to see how you're going to get from your number one to your number two on this. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's what I was wondering. Well, I'm going to end with my number two because that one I feel like actually is uh, the one that I would be most interested of all of my pairings to to do a double feature of. Like it's the it's the Odyssey connection, right? Yeah, uh, that that is a huge part of it. Um, but. Uh, I feel like a lot of these in general, well, to me, it made sense because I picked them, um, but a lot of them are dealing with some of, uh, again, that existentialism and finding your real self and, and sort of discovering who you are. Uh, a lot of these also have some element of some element of that fantastical realism. Some of them lean a bit more into fantasy and the ones that lean a bit more into fantasy are like a fantasy within a reality. So it's not like a straight up fantasy movie. It's a, mm-hmm. you're in the real world and then, Hey, here's some crazy shit that just happened. I'm like, wait, this isn't supposed to happen. That's not how things are supposed to work. All right. So, mm-hmm. uh, my picks are, uh, Truman show. Oh, brother. Where are Good. inside Lewin Davis, the life aquatic with Steve Zissou. Uh, Lord of the Rings, mostly because of just returning to you know Mount Doom. <laughs> Frodo versus the volcano. Yes, uh, Alice in Wonderland, or you know probably more specifically uh, Labyrinth, Princess Bride, and Big Fish. But the one that I would just just love the the one that I feel like would be the most interesting mix because on its surface, like no these. There's no reason that these should pair well together, but they do. Um, I would do a double feature of Joe versus the volcano and the warriors. Yeah, they are both about uh, people trying to get to an island. They not only are they about people like trying to essentially get a home wherever that home might be, whether it be their physical home of safety or the home of the identity of knowing who they are and the safety of discovering yourself. Um, but also, yes, the Odyssey connection. Um, but also, they're both kind of told in in storybook style. Less oh, so yeah, versus the volcano because you just have the beginning and ending. But the warriors, like you have that sort of graphic novel where it like kind of yeah. takes you out of it and and has some of that that graphic novel, like literal, uh, um, uh, we also have the DJ too. That's kind of like narrating what's happening throughout the movie. Like yeah. she's, yeah. So, oh, that's Carmen that's San cool. Diego. That's <laughs> Carmen San Diego who's the narrator. Is it really? Well, it's the woman from where, where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Oh, wow. I did not know that. That's awesome. That, Man, that's where she is. If I was, if I was a, if I was a decent artist, though, I would totally draw a picture of Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan as Swan and Mercy. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see that matchup. Yeah, I, I feel like that could be a, a really, really fun double feature. Uh, yeah, so uh, Joe versus the Volcano might just be a perfect movie because of how it can span time and space and work well with not only every single Hanks movie ever made, 
but also uh, just just such a wide variety of other films and work. All right. Um, Dan, where do you want people to find you? You can find me over on my blog when I eventually get back to it, but Jesus, this month was tough. Uh, HBOToFrontRow.com or on Twitter at HBOToFrontRow. And Felix, where do you want people to follow you? <laughs> um, man, I was going to say a joke about how you could find me in bed uh, late, <laughs> but you said where to follow me, so don't follow me into bed, please. Um, please I can be followed on Twitter, though, at the Chimerican, which is T-H-E-C-H-I-M-E-R-I-C-A-N. Uh, I'm also on uh, Instagram at Chimerican Reviews and on Letterboxd at Eric J-A-Y. <laughs> And uh, you can follow me slash the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Video Monster Pod. You can also follow me personally on Letterboxd at The Gargoyle. That's G-A-R-G-Y-L-E because it's a gargoyle wearing an Argyle sweater. And if you enjoyed this episode, uh, then be sure to go back and check out the rest of our Thanksgiving series. And be sure to keep coming back because coming up next, we have uh, a review of Hellbender which I call it at Knoxville Horror Film Festival, and I'm super excited to actually start diving into and discussing that a bit further. Very excited to watch that. Oh, mm. man. I, I I don't want to overhype it. I also really hope that you enjoy it. Uh, but yeah, we have a review of Hellbender coming up, and I am super excited about that. And uh, then we have another Hellbender-related episode uh, that will be happening very shortly after. But because this podcast has a way of being jinxed, I am not going to mention what the details actually are until that episode has actually happened because I don't want to say what it's going to be and then uh, the universe have an upside down, upside down lightning bolt, strike the podcast, and uh, cause it to not happen. Uh, but then, after we get through our uh, a couple of Hellbender episodes, then we are going to be starting our Mary Gen Xmas, where we are um, discussing films from, uh, you know, the, the 90s and doing some, some Gen X stuff for Merry Christmas season because of reasons. There's nothing goes better than Christmas and Gen X existentialism. <laughs> <laughs> Which does also make Joe vs. the Volcano a great transition uh, into, into that series. So, uh, yeah. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to keep coming back as we continue to discuss and over-discuss and over-analyze the films that we love and um, the, the other films that we also watch. Uh, be sure to follow wherever you get your podcast. Just like and subscribe. <laughs> God, I'm getting tired. Like and subscribe. That was, that was good. <laughs> I'm tired. Leave me alone. Like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Just do a search for Video Monsters. And uh, you can also be sure to catch us live as we record these episodes through Discord. And you can listen along to our unedited and uh, sometimes very off-topic conversations that we get into. The link for that is posted in Facebook, so be sure to follow us on Facebook and join us in Discord. All right, that's been it for this episode of Video Monsters. I'm Nathan. And I'm Eric. And I'm Dan. And, uh, yeah, um, you know, don't go chasing volcanoes. <laughs> Wow. <laughs>
I, isn't the whole point of the movie to that you should go chasing volcanoes though? I mean... To take the lead? Because that's life? Okay, fine. Go chase those volcanoes, but maybe, like, don't literally leap into a fiery pit of death? Because that, I feel like, wouldn't end well. Uh, no, I don't know nothing that. Oh. It's true. <laughs> Lots of bad things happen to the island. Yeah. Oh, uh, man. I, I like, I like, uh, don't go chasing volcanoes. It's <laughs> very, very good. Ah. Uh. Good night, everybody. Harry, Harry. Yeah, Harry, but can he do the job? I know he can get the job, but can he do the job? I'm not arguing that with you. Harry, I am not arguing that with you. Who said that? I didn't say that. If I said that, I would have been wrong.